I'm not a preacher, and I'm not drunk. I'm just a politician. Everybody, come out of your houses. Clarence Hillian is going to make you a super human being. All right, welcome to what started as the 21st episode of Crackpot Cinema, but now might be like around 27, 28. Uh, I'm Mike oh. McPadden. I am the author. That was a joke about our uh, various gaffes coming in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and there's the laugh I was after. Uh, I am the author of Teen Movie Hell and Heavy Metal Movies. Uh, from Los Angeles, my co-host. Aaron Lee, producer, writer for TV shows like Family Guy and Superstore. Stuff like that. And a guest we have promised you for, I'm going to say, 20 of our 21 episodes. Introduce yourself, also from Los Angeles. Hi, my name is Alan McDonnell, and I employed these guys. I was the person who hired them to come to Los Angeles when they were children, and I gave them their first paid writer jobs. And now they're both way ahead of me, but what the fuck? I don't, I don't hold any grudges. I'm Direct. proud. It's like my children. It's like I'm with my children who have really moved ahead of me. It feels great. They Direct men. all hate it's mail to so Alan, Alan for doing that, by the way. Well, whatever. And by the way, that's ridiculous, Alan. You're an acclaimed author of uh, multiple, multiple books. Uh, books. You, got to, you got to be on the Mark Marin show. We're just I sitting did. here on I our did. dumb I, podcast. I, with my late, I had a book called uh, Now That I Am Gone. And it's about great. a guy who dies, and then his, the story is about his life after he's dead. And it was published as a memoir, and people are asking me, of course, you know, how much of this is true? And I'm just like, you know, the guy's dead. He starts out dead. So you figure just it out that from there. Part. Yeah, <laughs> just that, yeah. And then I wrote a wrote... book about Hustler. Well, I met these guys at Larry Flint. Yes. 20 Years in the Hole. Great book. Yeah. Also a great song by Gays in the Military that we're going to end the show with. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. yeah. And, and I would encourage a- I would encourage no one to read that book based on the things you said about me in it. Oh, I, I would know. I would <laughs> say <laughs> I would say uh, oh, oh yeah yeah I got some mentions yeah the yeah I got some the poop ended up in the bottle something that I, later I, became a storyline in the office. Yeah, because I told B.J. Novak that story and he went and pitched it to, oh. at the office. Okay, yes. you have to like clue everybody, everybody into what you're talking about. Okay. Uh, go, go ahead, Alan. Go ahead. Well, in the book, there was a time when Aaron Lee, was his, his office was next door to me, and someone kept putting Pepsi bottles that had shit in them, human shit in them, <laughs> in his trash. It happened over yeah. and over. It just, in, in the, it couldn't and find And I it. got blamed. You sort of got blamed. They wanted to know what it was about. He got pulled in. The first, you know, they were trying to, they were trying to investigate it. You're the first avenue of investigation. So you're like, who's got who's got something out for you? Whatever. Yeah. We couldn't figure it out, and I had to go to all my editors and tell them that this was happening, and also warn them that if they were the one and they got caught, I would have to fire them. And I didn't <laughs> want to fire anybody because we had a pretty good crew, and it's hard to replace people. And then in the middle of going to, from editor to editor saying, look, I'm not saying you are the person who pooped in the bottle and put it in Aaron's trash can. But if you are, I realized that there was not a single one of them that I could say didn't do it. Like there's not a single one of them I could eliminate. Like any one of them could have been the one, including Aaron. Right. And then I right. realized like- that, that as I'm saying this, they're all thinking it could have been me. 
It could have even been me. I so still that was think a, that. that was our that was our fucking work. Well, place. but then I don't know if you remember, Alan. But then I was called down to the like security center in the office where they said we found footage of a large heavyset man who's sneaking in the building at night, and and I was shown the footage, and it was some big fat guy who was sneaking into the Flint building, pooping in my trash can, and I was like, no, I have no idea who this individual is. Yeah, I don't was. believe that. I don't, they didn't get footage of that. You think I knew who it was? No, I don't, I'm not saying you knew who it was. I don't believe that guy was the pooper. I feel it was targeted. <sighs> It was too targeted because if, if I was going into an office and I was pooping and if I was sneaking in, I would spread it around. I wouldn't always put it in the same can. I would want my, you know, joy, this joy that I'm bringing to this work environment to be shared equally. And we never got to the bottom of how it was done either. It's no, not easy no, to no. poop in a can. We, we yeah. I mean, there's still a lot of mysteries yeah. uh, about that. Yeah. yeah. Like, but yeah, it was uh, memorialized on national TV. So, well, so our pain... As everything's better once it's been on TV. That's the truth. Yeah. Very much. Just just look at me. <laughs> <laughs> All better. Yeah. All better from those incredibly diseased days of total <laughs> total destruction. Yeah. All better. Uh, but anyways, we also let's tell another story from Alan's twenty years in the whole book because I'm in it. Uh, the story of the Jane Fonda Ted Turner incident. Is it that? Oh, I, don't you want to tell the one about how you used to jar your piss and, and drop it out the window? <laughs> Yo, man, that would have been <laughs> such a more natural segue. <laughs> yeah. What? Wow. <laughs> you didn't know that, Aaron? I didn't do it. No, I, I, no I knew it. It never happened in front of me. It's just the amount of, of body waste that was going into bottles in that building. Yeah. It's just mind-blowing. And I want to say, when the, when the uh, Pepsi building. poop happened, I was already gone. I had a... Uh, yeah, yeah. Because that would have been a good excuse to fire me, uh, among 10,000 <laughs> others. But, um, yeah, I was back in New York at that point. Uh, no, no, you know, it was a long walk to the bathroom. I drank a mm -hmm. lot of, I had, I had finished drinking uh, alcohol at that point and replaced it with uh, Diet Pepsi, for some reason, was the initial version <laughs> of the addiction. And uh, I had a Gatorade bottle at my desk and a little, like, how would you describe that? It was like a little prison window next to me. Yeah. And no I would real just view. fill the bottle and uh, <laughs> pour it into the uh, alley between us and the Kate Manalini parking lot in Beverly Hills. You know, you know who else is famous for this? Is director Oliver Stone is famous for doing that on his uh, shoots. So he doesn't never has to miss a moment wow. of shooting. The lucky stand assistant there and... who has to take care yes. of that. Yes, I would think in this Me Too era that's not going on. But that's it. That's in every book by everyone who's ever worked with Oliver Stone. Maybe that was Oliver yeah, Stone's shit in the Pepsi bottles. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I mean he he produced the Larry movie, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, maybe it was. Maybe he started and during the shooting and got comfortable doing yeah. it. Yeah, like I think we solved it. He's like one of those guys who might drink his own pee. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you make a point. Yeah. There was some of that. that yes. Nick Gregory, I think, was doing that. And he was suggesting to Larry that Larry should do it when Larry befriended Dick Gregory. Well, also, uh, Dave Carney of Big Brother Magazine famously drank his own pee on Oh, did he? On one of those. Uh, on, the, on one of the Big Brother videos. Did he spit videos. it out yeah. or did so he right. it? No, no, he, he swallowed it. was really hard to watch. Really, really made me sick. You guys really never disgusting. drank your own pee as a kid? No. You ever no. drank anybody else? No, 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 no. no. I did one. No, I couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> I, how own. was it? I'm not going to make any claims about drinking anybody else's <laughs> on, on microphone. 
Uh, yeah, it was gross. I wanted to throw yeah. up right away. Yeah, it tasted disgusting. Yeah, I'll bet. Yeah, I'll bet. But, you know, I was curious yellow in every sense, and uh, <laughs> I went for it. So, uh, Alan, and I, we're going to talk about movies at some point today. Uh, <laughs> I, I, why? There's no rush. I mean, yeah. no, why I mean, not just keep talking? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, and we're going to just keep, keep talking. talking. And there's a punk emphasis, correct? Yes, we're going to talk. So, Alan is going to be a recurring guest. We're going to cover... Uh, a wide, if not the entire spectrum of L.A. punk movies, as close as we can stand it, uh, because Alan came up through the L.A. punk scene as a youngster, wrote well, a really I was great in there, book about it. I was in there for a second, and I diverted out. I was in there for like about a year at the start, and then I diverted out. But I did you like... Know, an important part of being a punk, Aaron and I talk about this often, is having a green mohawk and a leather jacket and saying, don't call me a fucking punk. So yes. So all yeah, right, you've already you've, you've you've qualified at this point. So, um, <laughs> but you wrote a great book about it called "The Punk Elegies," uh, about your time living in the Canterbury Hotel. Is that what it's called? The Canterbury. It's called the was Canterbury the Hotel. Can- yeah. Maybe it was the Canterbury. It might have been the Canterbury Arms Hotel. I think it might have been the Arms. Yeah, because we. But there was Canterbury, there. and it was right across the. St- Hollywood Boulevard from The Mask, which was the, the big L.A. club, everybody, which was in a basement underneath the Pussycat Theater. And there was constant leakage from the Pussycat Theater's plumbing because the pipes would be across the ceiling right. of the mask. And every time someone flushed the toilet at the Pussycat Theater, uh-huh. there would be a drop coming, drops how, coming down. How many punk girls got uh, pregnant as a result of that? Mm, I don't know. Damn. Please, ben, please put a bomb sound effect in there. <laughs> it was, uh, they were clotted drops, I guess, is what you're getting at. That The drops were clotted yeah. with, rather yeah. than rather than poop, it was, yeah, yeah the shit coming out there. <laughs> but I don't Alan know. Made a hand I, I don't gesture. know, though. I, I feel like the Pussycat Theater, like the ejaculations yeah. took place in the seat. Because yeah, the movie's not, right there. Know, if not your neighbor's orifice. Yeah, no. I mean, I don't think Wait. people went to the bathroom to jerk off. What what Pussycat Theater was that? That was on... Hollywood the, Boulevard. Was, it was closed it was by a, the time we got there. Okay, it was right yeah, by I Cherokee. Ever, it was there a long time. Okay, I only ever saw the one on Western, I feel like. Wasn't there also no, one no, on like, Santa Monica Boulevard had the... Well, that was the Tomcat. But Santa Monica old, had a Pussycat for a long time. It was the one that, that had the... That was the Big Cat. Well, that it was, was the flagship theater. Yeah, and it had the Walk of Fame up front with the handprints and all that shit. Uh, tit prints. Yeah, maybe tit prints. It may have had, I don't know if it had John Holmes' dick print, but it had, you know, something like yeah. that. And then there was one on, like, Sunset and Western. And then there was one, yes, yeah. there was one in Santa Monica that was down, uh, on, that used to be kind of a slummy area where now there's the uh, big mall there. It's not there anymore. Oh, yeah. It's a Buca de Beppo now. Yeah, something like that. That, oh, yeah. that one is now a Buca de Beppo yeah, yeah. restaurant. Yeah. yeah. yeah I went to that one in Santa Monica. I went to, I uh, rode my bike out there because I didn't have a car the first year I lived in LA. And uh, I was going to see Forrest Gump by myself. And I had like an hour to kill. And I was walking around Santa Monica. I was like, ah, I was like, well, I'm going to go check out the Pussycat Theater. And, uh, you know, I checked it out. It was what you'd expect. And then I threw so my pussycat ticket stuff. You know what? They were showing like a, an old Amber Lynn movie, like The Senator's Wife or something. It was weird. It was from like 85. Yeah, this is, and this so was, this is a weird time thing you just got me into here because you're saying yeah. an old Amber Lynn movie. 
Whereas right. when the, I was going to the Pussycat Theater, they read they had a Deep Throat and Behind the Green Door double bill right. for years and years, which right. was like like what nineteen seventy three or four, whenever seventy two was Deep Throat. Yes, but so, they would have been so doubled in seventy three. Yeah, Amber Lynn to me right. was way out in the video, like like she right. was like one of the first video stars. So it's funny that you call think of her as the old Amber Lynn movie, like old well, at product, that point, and, and it was just the grimy, shitty like Advent TV. Pro- projection yeah and you know people getting comfortable yeah you know one of my favorite stories i'm, I'm sure i told told you guys this a thousand times was the, the old variety theater in new york which was this legendary shit pit um that had a gorgeous marquee it, it, it had been the oldest the, still running theater had a big wooden marquee with the variety that like the variety magazine but they had porno on the weekends they'd have like horror movies <laughs> during the week and when they shut it down uh, when when the city was shutting down places for AIDS, yeah, they said there were twenty six people in there engaged in thirteen unsafe sex acts. So it was like everybody had partnered up. It was like the yeah. match was perfect. That's perfect. And then they said there was probably a little beyond kid. partnered up too. There's probably some four. You know, there was probably like some multiples yeah. other than two. Yeah. Well, I I but I mean it's just it's how, right how down do you the ever middle. leave a place like that? Like if you know that's there, how are you ever anywhere else? If you're only a subway ride away. How I mean, do you they, get any work done? How does anyone in that area get a work any any <laughs> job done? And uh, so um, there was no COVID to keep God, you at I'm home. Lost. Oh, I'll tell you another thing about the Tomcat Theater. When I first moved to LA, and I was walking to Hustler. So Hustler was in Beverly Hills. If you if you're familiar with Los Angeles, you'll understand what this means. I lived in Hollywood um, by the Chinese Theater. I lived on High, uh, Highland and Franklin. And I walked to Hustler in Beverly Hills every day and walked back because I, I not only was like, like six had no miles, car, each, six miles each way. I had no money. It took like two and a half hours. Yeah, because I, I woke up. At, I left the house at five to get to work because we had to be there by eight. And um, but I'd walk by that Tomcat Theater and they had the poster for Making Love, the uh, Kate Jackson, Michael Aunt Keen, Harry Hamlin movie, and it said like like gay. Hollywood festival coming soon. And I was really excited because, like, you know, A, I could get to go see, I, I wanted to see that movie, and B, to see it in the gay porno theater would have been such a thrill. But it never happened. I left LA before. Oh. I, I mean, if it ever happened, I was gone. Um, I did actually get into that. Like, uh, Buck Adams, Amber Lynn's brother, had a premiere there. And we all went. And uh, I actually didn't eat the catering. No, the, did you uh, hang out with Buck at all? Uh, no, he's terrifying. Yeah, he's a, he was scary. No, he had a case of Budweiser cans, a suitcase next to him, that he was just compl- like just siphoning one after another. No, no. that's a is, is, that's a kind of horrifying origin story, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. Although um, I don't know how to verify any of it, but I have a feeling it was, it was pretty close to what they would say. Yeah. Is that theater still there? That Tomcat, or is that gone now too? Why are you asking me? <laughs> no, I'm specifically asking uh, Alan, you, Alan. He asked, you, Mike, the you gay don't know. Porno theater in Boys Town. You're the one there. who's still in LA, so yeah. therefore you must. <laughs> I'm in my house. When you when you were there the other day, was it still there? <laughs> I didn't notice it. I was very caught up. Yeah, I remember when I was at Hustler getting an assignment. One of the most fun ones ever. I can't remember if I pitched it or was the history of the Pussycat Theaters. 
And I got to talk to Dave Friedman for oh, yes. hours oh, wow. about like yes. the history, which was just fantastic and so fascinating. And uh, and we never published it for some reason. I don't know. I probably got too lazy to transcribe. You might it not have finished but... it. Yeah. 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 Ne- it never happened. Come on. I know. I, I would love to. Uh, I would love to find those tapes. A crazy, crazy history. Lots of Sammy Davis Jr. stories he had. A lot of Sammy Davis Jr. coming to hang out at the Pussycat. Yeah, fucking Chuck Trainer had a Sammy Davis Jr. story too. Yeah, I remember that with That's Hugh Hefner, right? Well, sort of. It was like, well, I don't know if Hugh Hefner was in the room, but it was like Sammy Davis Jr. was so impressed oh! by Linda Lovelace's right. abilities that Trainer taught Sammy Davis Jr. how to deep throat on Trainer. Yeah. Yes, on yeah, Trainer. I trainer. do remember yeah. that. That story's in Ordeal, I think. Yeah, it right. Is. I, I feel like it happened at the Playboy Mansion. I could be, I could be wrong. It sounds like possible, but yeah. yeah, I'm just glad that you referenced where that it's published somewhere, so someone doesn't think that I just made I it up. Absolutely and did. I'm, I'm always, I'm always <laughs> conscious of these things. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, always conscious of. So uh, the the Jane Fonda sex tape. There's, there you go. You go right to the point, right to the part where we could all get <laughs> <we> killed. <laughs> You want to and tell that it? Was Alan, that was published. That was published in some. In book. Alan's book, whoever yeah. the guy was that wrote. Oh, that's right. It was yeah. Alan. He's responsible. Okay, that's go right. ahead. <laughs> Nobody knew until he called into Howard Stern and told the story. <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. How did that? How is that not? Yeah, that is that's shocking. How did that not get out before then? You I know? think because uh, I don't know something happened to the guy that brought it because he never came back to us. And uh, so I don't know if they, if they found him, if they, I don't know what the fuck happened. Well, let, I'll, re, I'll recap quickly. So uh, one day in the office, Alan gets a call that uh, some guy has the, he said he had the Donald Trump Marla Maple sex tape. So that, Ugh. imagine having that now. Uh, so that got him in the door. And then he came into uh, the office I shared with Scott Shalin. And he said, I want you to tell me who you think this is. And he puts this uh, VHS tape in our machine, and it was absolutely 100% Ted Turner, Jane Fonda, and another woman. And somebody was working the camera. Somebody was, was the cinematographer. Yeah, yeah. And that cinema Because it was with moving a, with back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. And they go at it in a threesome, and Jane is orally gratifying the woman and uh, puts on, uh, she straps on, let's say, an apparatus. And then she steps behind Ted, who's really into it. He accepts this apparatus enthusiastically. And uh, at one point, he yells, <laughs> my dick is as big as a house. <laughs> and then they and start then, getting really rollicking. They're rollicking along. Like in, the, the, dildo, I'm gonna tell, the dildo pops out. Yeah. And Ted yeah, goes, please. damn it, Gene. Yeah, he goes, <laughs> God damn it, Gene. It slipped out. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we all rated it three quarters erect. It was a pretty good porno. Well, there's a second part great. too because there was a second part where right. it was just uh, Jane and uh, Ted, and Ted yeah. was hopping like a frog on top of the dildo. Yeah. But first, he'd yeah, gone he down cowgirl. on it. He went down on yeah. it like Sammy Davis on Chuck Trainer. And <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, like, is this a new strap on, or is this the strap on that was up his ass earlier? I mean, they have enough money to have a new one every time, but do they think like that? I mean, who, you know, who knows? 
And that was like in front of like their their island getaway. Yeah, there was a window. The light was coming in, and there was probably not a cameraman. It was. It looked like a stationary. No, no, that was stationary. That was a tripod. Yeah, but it looked like a really nice room. You know, a very comfortable place. Jane was a tripod too when she put her apparatus. Yeah. So, so uh, the guy. uh, But but we made a we made a pact. Like everyone who saw it, we made a pact. Do not tell anyone. Don't tell your fucking father. Don't tell your girlfriend or wife. Don't tell anyone. You so can get killed tell? for this. You can get yeah. killed. Yeah. So for a while, we told no one. But right. what we would do is every month, we would come up with some other reason to do a, to do a comedy photo cut-up thing of, of, of someone looking like Ted Turner and Jane Fonda. We put Ted Turner and Jane Fonda's head on them with Jane Fonda fucking Ted Turner in the ass with a strap on. We did it like four months in a row. Yeah. And we right. worked the phrase, my dick is as big as a house, into the magazine as many times as possible. I wanted to put it on the cover, but uh, it didn't work out that way. Kind of a kind of a cry for help that you yeah. had to sit with this. It yeah. was terrible. Yeah. And then yeah. one day, like, because Larry, we, we, the guy came twice or three times, and he showed the tape to Larry Flint, and he was Larry was negotiating with him for purchase, but he he uh, shorted the guy. That I guess the guy was insulted at the amount, and Larry, we never heard from him again. But we continued to do these photo funnies of. Ted Turner and Jane Fonda with the strap on. And one day I got a phone call from Larry and he says, Alan, we still have a number for that guy who brought in the Ted Turner tape. And I said, no, man, that guy's long gone. You know, you, you blew that guy. And then he says, cause you know, I was just talking to Ted Turner and he, <laughs> he'd really like to get a hold of that guy. And I, think, I fucking wow. bet he would, man. I bet he would. Wow. But eventually we did squeal. And you told, well, you weren't married at that point. You told Teresa, right? I don't know and who Scott, I told. I don't know who I told. But when it was Scott afterwards told- in the book, like that guy Lloyd George or Lloyd Grove. Was it Lloyd Grove? Yeah, Lloyd Grove. He was at the New York Daily News or somewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He did a story on it because when the book was being shopped yeah. around, there were two things that, this, this is the hospital book, there were two things that made yeah. the news. One was about the impeachment and one was about this tape. And he called and he wanted to know you know, how it happened. I told him the whole thing. And then uh, there was one other guy other than you and Scott who saw it. And so he contacted, or you guys contacted as well, and you verified what I'd said. And so he went with the story. Yeah. And he kept saying to me, you really haven't read this book or talked to Alan? I was like, no, 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 this is my memory. I really, I matched up. It it fucking left an impression. It did. The whole thing. Like the guy, like I can almost picture the guy. Yeah, completely. He, and we thought maybe he was a military guy. Yeah, I believe, so. like the, I believe so. I believe so. He had the buzz cut. He had the like the posture, the way he talked, and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and then his availability was was really spaced out. So it was like he was there with a with because his ship was in or something. Who knows? You know. Right. Right. But he was. Yeah, we got we got fixated on the idea he was a navy man. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. yeah. But uh, so I eventually told my father. And my father was not a Navy man. He was a Green Beret. So I tell him, uh, hey, Pop, I got to talk to you. Um, (laughs) I saw a video, a sex tape of someone um, very powerful. And he goes, oh, what's it? I said, it was Ted Turner and Jane Fonda. And there was like a a pause for a second. He goes, are you on a secured landline? (laughs) 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 And he just said to me, say nothing. Say nothing. Yeah. Say nothing. <laughs> like, I, I don't even feel good about talking about it now. Yeah. Like, I'm not yeah. comfortable. 
I, I, you know, I, I don't mind. Well, we brought you here to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. So our, no, job, I mean, our job is, is working. In a way, but also, like, just the way the world is. Yeah. It's like, you know, you, when, we were, when we said, don't tell anyone, you could get killed yeah. for this, whatever, you might have thought, oh, we were being dramatic, we were being overly, uh, caught, right. you know, somehow we were inventing this narrative. But I feel like we've seen enough where we know that that's not really being paranoid. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. It's uh, yeah. It makes I think you feel the only, like a thing, rat. That, the only yeah. thing that saves us is that tape is still out there somewhere, and the right. internet exists. And yeah. I, I feel like that's why I never got sued. That's you know, aside from the fact that you know you saw it and Scott saw it, and we're on the record for having seen it. But if they were to sue me, and then oh, here it is, then you know they would have to give me a bunch of money. Yeah. So, well, we're all like, like they know it's yeah. there. They know that we what we say we saw right. we saw. So the only reason that we got away with it is because we were not lying about it. We didn't make this shit right. up. Absolute defense, yes. So I would like to talk about how I met Alan a bit. So I was publishing a fanzine called Happy Land, and I began uh, freelancing for the New for? York Press. Oh, we want to go into that. Oh, okay, <laughs> we don't have to. Big fire, no, no, it's fire. Fine. But people got died in a social okay. club called Happy It was Land. a heinous, it was the worst, at that point, worst mass murder in New York history. It was an illegal social club called the Happy Land. Uh, and a guy thought his ex-girlfriend was inside, poured gasoline on all the steps, and padlocked the doors. Lit it ablaze. This happened to and some then, of my ancestors back in, you know, in Scotland. At chapel, like these Protestants came yeah. and fucking barricaded them in there and then burnt it. I understand that. Burned at this chapel. Was, this was irrational. Yeah. yeah. Um, but So maybe he was uh, yeah. Scottish, this guy. <laughs> it turned out <laughs> his girlfriend wasn't even in there. Yeah. So uh, I think it was like 91 people. It, it, was, it was a nightmarish thing. And I, you know, regret naming it that, except. I don't. Um, except I so you had a great um, you had a great T-shirt with the with the. I did. This is yeah. how you got hired. You sent me a T-shirt. That's right. That's all. That's <laughs> yeah, all. You used to wear it. I wore Before it until working. about a year or two ago. It just it just wow. it disintegrated. Yeah. Fantastic. It said on the back, "The heartwarming adventures of a boy and his dick." That was our yeah. Motto. I used to always have to wear it with another shirt on top. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then I started writing for the New York Press, which was a local alt weekly, and. Um, the art director there, Michael Gentile, had worked at saint. Hustler. Was... A fucking saint, by the way. Saint yes. Gentile, we call him. Yes. I, I love Michael Gentile. And, um, and you said you were in touch with him recently, so I'm glad yeah. to know he's, he's out there and okay. Um, so uh, he sent, I think, I, I, said, I think Gentile sent you copies of Happy Land, and yeah. you, ca- you called me, and uh, I couldn't believe my, my ears. And... Uh, you offered me uh, some work, and um, then we started talking on the phone, and uh, I really got to like this fella, uh, Alan McDonnell, and I was talking to Gentile once at a New York press party. Uh, this was the party when I was leaving. I had like a long overcoat on that I had filled with liquor bottles, and I was stepping out right in front of Russ Smith, who owned the paper, and I like misstepped, and five liquor bottles came spilling out of my coat onto the sidewalk in the truck. And he just laughed. He just cracked up. He said, you just ask. We could have given you a bag. And I was like, oh, it's more fun this way. <laughs> so, um, uh, so I said to uh, Gentile, like, so what's up with Alan? He goes, 
I, he had, he kind of talked, he had like a real kind of laid back way of talking. And he was like, Alan's a great guy. He goes, but you know, he's been like sober. Like he doesn't drink or use drugs for like 10 years or something. And I was like, holy shit. So then it occurs to me. So at this point I had become really friendly with Alan and I admired him a lot. So I was like, listen, so, so Alan was kind of like, like incredibly smart, incredibly funny. At this point in his life, really mean. Had a really nasty disposition, like, hurtful sense of humor. <laughs> was kind of like evil, but like in a very charming way. This is what my wife says about like, me now, but no charm. <clears throat> Without just take out the charming. <laughs> and I've, I've been hearing this all fucking weekend. <laughs> so it occurs to me: look, if you can be that kind of asshole and not drink. This may be something I can look into. Yeah, there's something into it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, th- and thus began my journey toward uh, not drinking or taking drugs. And uh, so I um, was writing for Hustle. We were continuing to talk. And then a job became available. And Alan said to me, look, I'll hire you, but you can't drink. And I was like, I don't know. First, first I asked Alan for if he knew anybody in New York, and he did, and I, I started to get a little help, but it wasn't taking. Um, so I said, oh, no, no, man, I, uh, I quit. I, I quit like 100 days ago or something. And he was like, okay. So I booked my flight, and I was in a bar, and my fucking mouth like just went on fire. And it turned out I had this dental apocalypse Ugh. just going on. I had multiple impacted wisdom teeth coming in upside down. So. I, yeah, I just went mouth. home. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I went home and uh, went to the emergency dentist. They yanked these teeth. I, I didn't have ID at this point, let alone insurance. So they like gave me a pack of the Tylenol. And they were like, good luck, buddy. So I went to my parents' house and just kind of wrapped myself in a blanket for 10 days and just sweated it out. But in that period, like it was the first time in a long time I hadn't had a drink. And so I kind of detoxed on the couch in my mother's basement. And then I got on the plane to L.A., and then I uh, kind of skidded into a year of sobriety and then uh, started picking up again and said, you know, it's very hard to drink in Los Angeles. You have to drive. Bars close early. I said, uh, I, better of, call. I better hazards. go back to New York. Yeah, a lot of hazards. What's that? A lot of hazards yeah. drinking in yeah. Los Angeles. As opposed to New York where it's, you know, but I, know, I do know people do successfully become alcoholics and drug addicts in Los Angeles. Let's say that. There's a lot of it, yeah. Um, yeah. But... Uh, in New York, it's very easy because the bars are open till uh, four. They don't have to lock till five thirty. But back and then, then you, you would you would have these maniacs on the street. So even though you didn't have to get in yeah. the car and get arrested or kill yeah. someone with your car, you didn't know right. what you were going to run into. Like what right. little word you might say that would, you know, set some maniac off and they well, let me slice tell, your yeah, head we'll, off. We'll, we'll get to that chapter of my saga yeah. in a moment. That's <laughs> happened to everyone I knew that lived in New York has had some really bad kind of violence just erupt well, well, but except except me like i got mugged a bunch of times in high school in the 80s but all through my like addiction and everything never never really a problem i pass out on the train and get my pocket picked often slashed which sucked because I, I didn't have two cents to buy pants but um no so i'm in la uh one week and i was i had not had a drink for a couple of weeks at that point and i went to dinner with alan and uh Fantastic, his fantastic wife, uh, Teresa, then his girlfriend. And uh, then they dropped me off at the Sunset Five to go see a midnight movie. 
And I just figured, you know, I thought like L.A. was like, you know, surf dudes coming from. I had been living in Bed-Stuy when it was a complete war zone at this point. And uh, so I just thought I would walk from there to Hollywood. And there's, <laughs> I just, I hear this metallic clang and just you know, inhuman growling behind me. So I turn around and this homeless guy was picking up like the steel trash cans and throwing them at the traffic. And he caught my eye and just charged me. So I try to get away. I walk over, and, and it was late at this point. It was after two. So I walk over to the Seventh Vale Strip Club, which was the only place that was open. And uh, I tried to get in. They were like, no, we're closed. I said, this guy's going to kill me. And they were like, not our problem. So mm. th- this dude uh, dragged They're me They're usually down. so nice, too. They're <laughs> usually so nice and supportive there. God. So this dude uh, dragged me down the steps and just beat the fuck out of me. You know, this... at one point he ripped his shirt and I was like, God damn it. Now he's really committed. Like he took his shirt. And I always remember, Mike, you and I have yeah. talked about this incident, yeah. too, because you told me at the time you said, I saw the guy. I saw him throwing trash cans around and I, I knew I had to just give him the meanest look possible and oh. keep walking yeah. towards him. Yeah. And I was like, no, Mike, you run away. Yeah, you, you run away yeah. from people. like that. You yeah. run like hell. Yeah. Yes. You deflect Which at I least. Assume, you at least go, yeah. you know, yes. do a walk yes. around. Just run. Just run away. I had a lot of chemicals in my brain at that point still. I understand. You know, this, this experience, this experience that you have, yeah. it's a very common yeah. experience today with the transgender community. So... You should really be able to relate and help. I mean, just, uh, yeah. I mean, this past week or a week, yeah, week no, and a half a on Hollywood story, Boulevard, yeah. there's this fucking thing with these, you know, it was three oh, trans women and they got, they were homeless yeah. dudes and they just fucking beat the shit yeah. out of them. It was fucking horrifying. Horrendous. Oh. Yeah. But it's just, wow. so. All right. Well, we'll pick the show back up and talk about my beat. <laughs> and uh, so I said to the guy. So you're kind of like I ahead of the curve. Because you didn't even have always, to transition. Always innovative, yeah. You didn't even have to be non-binary. You didn't have to step out of the right. binary continuum. And poof, <laughs> you had the experience. You can relate. Made it work. Yeah. So They have nothing I, uh, on you. They have nothing on you, the trans. I said to the guy, I was like, dude, what do you want? I didn't have any money or anything. And uh, he said, now, at this point, a wall of homeless people had stood between the, the passing traffic and me and the guy. And the bouncers are laughing. Oh, so wait to pre- to prevent traffic from seeing what was happening. Well, they were watching the show, right? And, uh, I thought it was like at Disneyland. Have you ever heard that legend that like if you harass one of the mascots, like like you harass Goofy, all the other mascots come dancing out in a circle around it, and Goofy will shake the shit out of you in the middle no, of it. I, while I guess try that out. Yeah, yes, that's that was supposedly like '80s procedure at Disneyland. I thought that's wow. what the uh, that's what the uh, transient pop- population did. Oh, well, sort of like that. But and that's the thing they're all saying to me. The bouncers like, "What did you do to him?" I was like, "What do you think oh, I God. did to him?" <laughs> and at this point, you know, I weighed like 150 pounds, and I was, uh, you know. So they're like, you got to fight him. I was like, I'm not going to fight him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And, and one of the fucking homeless goes, this is what we do to tourists here. Tourists. It's like, well, lucky me. I now live here. So, uh, so I said, what do you want to do? He, and he goes, I want you to get butt naked and run down an alley. So I was like, it's, it's not happening. So, <laughs> it's not happening. I mean, he really smashed me in the face after that. And, um, oh, God. He goes to take off his belt. And that's when the, uh, oh, he did take off his belt and he hit me with it. 
and then turned it to use the buckle, and the guy, the bouncer finally gets between us and goes, look, if you're going to use the buckle, take him across the street. Ugh. So I, <laughs> I used that moment to... <sighs> Uh, just run this is the bouncer of the seventh veil this is yes, the bouncer the seventh of the seventh veil which I, I hope you wrote i hope you wrote a very sternly written letter to the seventh veil well, about i wanted to go his back behavior. to the seventh veil at one point so i didn't want well, to get that's bad true. blood with them yeah so. that's true that um, is terrible so i and somehow the only time ever in los angeles history somebody really needed a cab and it was there i managed to flag down a cab and i went home so I had to, then I had to go upstairs, get whatever cash I had in a drawer, and give it to the guy. That's such a nightmare That's story. A, yeah. yeah, it's a terrible night, Mike. Sorry. Yeah, have, yeah, you ever seen the, have you ever seen the movie Welcome to L.A.? The Alan Rudolph yeah, movie? Yeah, yeah, I have not. Yeah. Because that doesn't happen in that movie. <laughs> no. There, there is the scene in L.A. story where a shirtless homeless man beats the shit out of Steve Martin <laughs> right. know, with a belt buckle. I don't know if you remember that. But. Yeah. But not welcome. Well, that's where to the guy was You're ripping right. it off from, obviously. So. Yeah, yeah obviously. was imitating. He thought he was in obviously. a fucking audition. So then, <laughs> uh, and that's when it occurred to me when he ripped his shirt. I mean, later I was thinking, like everybody in fucking LA is in show business. The cops are all fucking in show business. The fucking Seven Eleven guy who looks past your shoulder and, and talks down to you, he's putting on a show, and. Mm. Uh, that's yeah, how it went. the thing is, though, then you go to Des Moines or you go to Cleveland or anywhere in New York, and it's sort of this, everybody's in showbiz, like the kinks would say. Well, now. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of really now, spread yeah. out, yeah. Yeah. But the awareness, the awareness can really first come here in Los Angeles. The awareness can really get you. Yeah. And then uh, I have to say, I was uh, a, a, a handful as an employee, and Alan was superhumanly patient with me. Off and, and on. I mean, generous. it was, you know, it was, there was... There was a trade-off, though, because there's, you know, whatever work was getting done, and it was it was interesting. Right. And the, what I liked the best when I was working there and hiring people was like if they could write something that had me interested, and I uh, just be interested, and to be able to go to work and be interested in what you're working on is is a really big gift. And so if if the, someone could show up and do something that interested me, I'm not saying they were great or whatever, but they interested me, then I was, right. you know. Fuck it, man. There's a little, you know, there's a trade-off. So, I mean, there would be people who might have been really like just. They might even bought me cookies and milk, and they might have bought me apples. But if they bored the <laughs> shit, I mean, with what they had, I had to work on. <clears throat> I really wouldn't be into, you know, having them around. And then I was friends with Aaron from uh, his fanzine, uh, Blue Persuasion. Mm-hmm. Blue Persuasion. Yeah, yeah very, very good. good. Can't believe you guys remembered that guy. What the name of your friggin' zine? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. I wonder if I yeah. still have a copy. I might. I think maybe wow. I sent my copy back to Mike. I said because I sent all my happy things back to Mike at one point. Yes, thank you. I recently, uh, I recently went online and found a copy that some guy was selling for like thirty bucks and bought it because I, when the Dolomite movie came out, I wanted to read my old Rudy Ray Moore interview wow. so bad. So I found one guy who had one sitting in a warehouse somewhere for oh. thirty years. Can yeah. we post that online? Can we put that? Yeah, on sure. Social yes, media. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, and then yeah, I moved back to New York and. Uh, Eventually got sober again, and if I if I don't pick up in the next uh, couple of weeks, I'll have twenty one years in September. Ah, uh, twenty one years. This is episode twenty nice. one. Episode twenty one. Wow, all coming like together. Yeah. No, 
Fantastic. So, uh, should we talk about some movies? Yeah, some punk rock movies. <laughs> Let's get fucking punk. So Let's go wild. We're going to start with uh, The Decline of Western Civilization from 1981, uh, which, you know, I, I mean, I think this is, this is the best possible jumping off point. And, um, oh, we have to do our rating system. I always forgot. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You know, Alan, we always rate movies thumbs up or thumbs down with a, with a pun. We always come right. up with a pun related to it. So, so, no, no. What, do you, what do you got, Mike? Punk or stunk? Oh, that's good. Punk I mean, or it, Usually skunk. it's a shit joke. Yeah. Punk or skunk. Yes, that's good. <laughs> and that's it. I only had one shit joke. Punk but wait or a minute, cur- But punk, punk and stunk, I oh, mean, go ahead. how are they separate? <laughs> that's true. You have to that's go. That's true. For, uh, yeah, it's a leap. Yeah. Please make it. Yeah. Uh, for, for my shit joke one, I just had punk or kerplunk. That Perfect. was that Done. was it. Yeah. Right. All right. Punk or kerplunk. Punk or right. kerplunk. Decline. All right. That'll be our rating system. Oh, you don't want. Ooh. <laughs> Wait. Say that again. Decline or sublime. It makes this, no sense. N- it makes no it, sense. It's like Donnie Darko. <laughs> unless it was a slam at the group sublime. Unless you're saying sublime is shitty and decline. I don't know. That one could go a bunch of different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very arty. But yeah. I, I'm gonna say let's go. Well, we'll let our uh, guest decide. Okay. What, what was Ponka Kerplunk? Is that what it was? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's the yeah. front runner. <laughs> and what's just the good part of that? Like, which is Punk is up? good. Punk so is good. Is, punk is thumbs up. Punk is good. Yeah. yeah. Kerplunk. Kerplunk. Right. The, the sound of shit hitting a toilet is thumbs down. <laughs> yeah. <Yes>. Well, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, or shit hitting a Pepsi, Pepsi bottle. bottle. Yeah. Slithering in, slithering into the Pepsi bottle. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, how did he do it? How do you know it's a he? Yeah, I was going to say he. Because I saw the video in the security. That was some dude. I think it was. Who went through the looking for purses and stuff. That wasn't the shitter. Well, I don't know. I've heard heard other stories. I've heard stories that it might have. Been someone who was putting that person up to it. I'm not. I'm not going to get it. There's, this goes yeah, deep, yeah, Alan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, this I, I is conspiracy that, stuff. Story as well. Yes. Yes. It's not a big conspiracy. Yeah. It was like, like just like a one removed. Like someone did a favor <laughs> to somebody. Do me a favor. Come on. Let's, Let's make it sound bigger. Yeah. Let's make it sound bigger. Like Come deep on. throat only is deep hole. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's a huge conspiracy. Okay, so you're going to so, go punk and kerplunk, are you? Yeah. Punk or kerplunk? Yeah. So okay, decline of Western civilization. Way punk for me. Yeah, very punk. Punk AF. Yes. Yeah, Alan? I'd say punk. I say a little kerplunk, but probably for the same with the same uh, rationale that you're going punk. So I, you know, right. just a different idea of it. Okay. Interesting, especially, and I'm very curious to punk, hear, Alan. I can't think of punk without thinking kerplunk. <laughs> they're right. like, they're, they're okay, all right. For me, they're, almost, they're just like the same <laughs> fucking thing. <laughs> so that's yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm not, so I'm, were, I'm not disagreeing were, with you, right? <laughs> these were people you knew, though. So you have a some of them uh, I knew. You have some of them I multiple knew. Multiple dogs in this. Fight. Yeah, and then also because uh, I work for, I wrote for Slash Magazine, right? But yeah. well before this movie came out, before they filmed this movie. I kind of, wow. I, it's sort of like I got kicked out of punk. It's sort of like I quit. So sort of like I, I was not attracted anymore. There was kind of a big exodus. You know, a lot of people just stopped going to the events, right. you know. 
And I, That's really interesting. Al, I never knew you worked there before this. Yeah. It was yeah. so okay. But I thought I, this I never was met the that era. guy big. Okay, in the movie they talked to the people at Slash Magazine. They talked to Claude right. and Philomena. Philomena was married to Claude. Claude was this French English guy who was the primary editor. Philomena was a was an art director. They don't talk much to Samioff, Steve Samioff, who can who you know Slash was his concept or. Steve's then wife, girlfriend Melanie, who was she worked at A and M Records, I think. She was a you know an art person at A and M, and she was a fantastic photographer. And the thing about Slash Magazine, the initial issues of Slash Magazine, they were there before there was really a punk scene, really, and they really brought in the initial scene. Like the initial scene was really informed a lot by the aesthetic of Slash. And the people right. that came up with it were a little older than everyone else, like maybe four years older, five years older. They were more sophisticated. They were people who had had careers. They'd had more worldly experience. They'd been in different parts around the globe and stuff. And they kind of had this more, like the way they, uh, the way they presented what this version in reality was going to be, it had more to do with like an extension of Roxy Music or, or David Bowie, even though the music was not. But there was something about it where you there was a whole stylish thing to it and a whole mm -hmm. expression of self. Like there was a lot of like people taking pride in the way they would put together their look and the way they would put together like their point of view. Like they didn't just they didn't just go and adhere to a previously established look, which by the time this movie came out, there's a lot of that going on. And they yeah. didn't just go in and jump in and start going, well, punk is this, punk is that. Because initially, like we wouldn't if someone came showed up okay after like after like the first four or five months if someone came and showed because if someone can in four or five months at that time seemed like it was five years of development right because sure. things happen really fast but if someone showed up after like four or five months and said yeah i'm punk you would know this person doesn't you know this person doesn't understand what the fuck we're doing you know and, and you would kind right. of shun them because they were just a person looking for an identity to like jump in like like why don't you go fucking join the army? You know, why don't you go do some other conformist, completely conformist fucking thing instead of coming in here and bringing down the you know, bringing down the creativity and intelligence level of the room, you know? But then by the time this movie came out, they had so far outnumbered everything else that that's just the way it was. And, and it became a different thing. Like before the movie, it was, you know, the crowd, the, the varieties of music, the, what was accepted, the you know the, the demographic the makeup how many people were gay it was way it was a way different thing than after the movie and the movie what came after the movie was a, was actually a completely different thing than pre movie and initially sure. like I didn't watch this movie for many many years and because I felt like it was so what came afterward was just it wasn't for me but I've realized since then it was for it, for, it was for everyone else that came after so it was great for them. So I have a real split feeling about this movie because like I feel like it like it's supposed to represent that scene at that time, but a lot of the primary creative uh, talents were not even were not are not even anywhere you know they're they're not evident anywhere. But people who is that because they weren't as indicative of what was to come? I mean, I mean, do you feel like that's a slant she had in her filmmaking? Oh, I don't know if she like had I'm a, going to turn the focus over here, or is it just the way the scene was going? I I don't know what it was really. I think maybe some like I 
because I was, I was sort of gone by then. I wasn't really hanging out with people who were making decisions whether or not they wanted to cooperate with her. But, you know, she was at the time married, I believe, to the Biggs guy. I don't know if you know that, if you realize that. No. And the guy that owned know, Slash, the guy that. that bought Slash, they, wow. they were a couple. I believe they were married. So they were a couple. Yeah. So, and they, again, they were about, you know, they were like 10 years older than everyone else. And so there's right. also, like, initially when this movie came out, like, like I couldn't watch it. And I couldn't sure. watch it. I, I first watched it when my punk book came out, Punk Allergies, available online everywhere. I first watched it when that book came out, what was it, about four years ago, five years ago or something. That's the first, I, you know, I'd that seen. the first time. Yeah, I'd seen bits of it on uh, the right. Z channel. Like I'd be at someone's house at sure. a party or something. And I'd sit down to try and watch it, and I couldn't. I just emotionally, it, it made me, it made me wow. sick. Made me, and this has got no knock on the movie. I mean, it, I get it. That, yeah. that visceral kind of reaction I had may, in yeah. fact, be a, an indicator that the movie really got something. Succeeded. Yeah. What, let me ask you, though, about that reaction. Was it, this, was it this feeling of like, oh, here's this thing that got wrenched away from me or that it was painful to have to leave? What was that emotional reaction? There was more than one, but part of it was like the whole wrenched away thing. Part of it was mm -hmm. like, and then part of it was just straight out envy, straight out envy. Because like, mm, look, sure. here's Claude, who really is just talking out of his ass and they're listening to him like he's talking sense. And here's this other thing. And, you know, I was... You know, I should be here, and here's here's Chris D, and they're showing Chris D saying nothing. I mean, I should be in there, you know. So there's a lot of just straight out envy, and then there are other wow. things. There are other things beyond that, and one is is like, uh, you know, like Darby Crash killed himself two days before this movie premiered in Hollywood, right. and he's a big part of the movie. Like he's a big part of the of the branding. The record com the record cover is yeah. him. The poster yeah. was him, and. Uh, it kind of like like I had already sort of like been divorced from that whole group and everything. And I knew a few people that I still talked to, and there's people I talked to till today, you know. And, and then, then like I lived with people who became the Mau Mau. So I knew I knew various things still, but I was somewhat divorced from the idea that this is a was this scene that I was part of, and it was going to be embraced. It's going to burgeon and become this amazing thing. Like that was not going to happen. And then when he killed himself. That was a real kind of, that was like the, you know, the nail in the coffin. And then the movie right. came out two days later. And, and it was just, you know, like, I mean, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure he saw it. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know. I didn't go with him to see it. But I have a feeling that he saw it. And he doesn't come off well. You know, he, his skin is terrible. Well, he, he's he's yeah. Yeah. wasted. He's, you know, and, and like when he's making the eggs and everything, yeah. you know, that guy worshipped David Bowie. Like he, right. he used to have like this glass vial around his neck. And in the vial was a, a cigarette butt that he picked up at the Rainbow parking lot after Bowie flicked it into a puddle. Oh, wow. So he had this Bowie cigarette butt around because right. he worshipped David Bowie like, all, like anyone should, like everybody yeah. should. And so when, if you're really into David Bowie and then you, you know, David Bowie is like, like always smart, always looking great, always making an amazing impression, always doing something interesting. And you take that and you contrast with how Darby comes across in those few minutes that are in that movie, and it's the gulf. It's an unbridgeable gulf. Sure. So, I, yeah. but I don't know. He, I don't know why he did what he did. You know, I don't know how many things were involved with it. There was a, you know, there was a a show that maybe went bad right before. His band had kind of fallen apart. He's, there's, there are all sorts of things going on, you know. 
uh, a lot of people used to always there was there was a lot of talk that it was because he was gay, and no one knew he was gay, and he's hiding that he was gay. But everybody knew he was gay until until this crowd came in, which was younger than us, uh, more conformist than us, and they were very like like in the movie you see the whole part with fear with all the with all the gay baiting, and right. so that you know like. Like initially, there was no gay baiting because every great, ba all the best bands had a, like a major gay element. There was a, either like the lead person or, you know, there was, it was just, it was a very, uh, it just sprinkled with gays. You know, it was a sprinkled gay, you know, it was just, and, and, and in the because best Because it was way. coming out of Bowie, because it was coming out of Bowie. Because it was and... coming out of Los Angeles and it was in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're in Hollywood, yeah. right there. You know, the gold cup was right up above where the where the where the mask was, and the gold cup was a place where teenage runaways sold their fucking dicks. I mean, it was a there was just the street was just teeming with gays, and then the creative side of it too. A lot of them, a lot of people were just gay, and and also the whole like it was sort of outcast. Like everybody of that initial group, not everybody, but you know, the the overwhelming majority were people who were outcasts. And a very common thing in 1976, 1977, if you were gay, you were sort of outcast. You know, you're sort of other. Yeah. It was other. There was otherness, not necessarily outcast, because a lot of people had a really strong sense of self. And a lot of people did, you know, very much like be who they were. You know, that, and that was part of the attraction of the whole thing is you could go in there and you could be whoever you were. And there's a girl at toward the end of uh, the decline of Western civilization. She's the one, she has really creative makeup and... She's blonde. She was. She would be younger than I was at the time, and and she basically that that's what she says. Like that's what she's saying that she feels it should be, not just people beating each other up. And uh, so, mm -hmm. so all this stuff I, plays you, you, into my taking this movie in, and so it's really hard yeah. for me to just see it. I mean, I know like a lot of people I know, like they saw it and they thought, "Wow, I can do something myself," and they saw it from a Z channel, like someone videotaped it off Z channel. They saw a fourth generation VHS tape and they were like, I'm going to go do something. I'm going to go do something. So I had a completely different influence on like people who saw it from the outside. But, but my I wonder how much it did change the, I, I, I wonder how much it did change the scene though. I think the because, scene was already going that way. Cause you already before the movie came out, you already had the St. Patrick's day massacre riot that when the movie came out, they had a premiere up on Hollywood Boulevard at some, like the X Theater oh, yeah. or something. There was a huge riot. So that, and I think there may have also already been like a black flag. There may have already been a riot on Sunset Strip outside the Whiskey. So that was already all happening. It's like, if someone wants to go, oh, the, the movie changed, blew it, you know, like changed the whole deal. The whole deal was already changing. Right. It's just when you say the thing about her being older and some of the people that were involved being older, that's the thing that I think is the best about the movie is that her affection to them really does come through from her as an off-camera interviewer. Maybe. And she does seem to look at them and and maybe there's some and maybe there's some uh laughing a little bit too, but she does seem to look at them as kids and she does seem to skew towards that and her movies the next couple sequels got more and more explicit about that more and more about these are kids from broken homes until that third one is just about homeless kids in in LA yeah. it's barely even about music which one so, is that what's the third one called it, it's called just called the uh, 3 yeah, yeah and, it, and it really is about the called suburbia does she have like 
That's she a, that's made a, that right after this. That's her fiction movie. narrative film. Yeah, exactly. We're gonna make yeah. you watch that eventually. Well, I, I like I know people that were in that, but this movie. So this it's it's weird with this movie. There's something else I was gonna say. Um, I'll, I'll get to it later, probably. All right. So, uh, Aaron, when did you first see this movie? I must have first seen this on a VHS tape. I think in Lexington, Kentucky. You know, it definitely played at the Kentucky Theater in in Lexington, Kentucky. I definitely saw it there, but I feel like I saw it on a saw it on a tape rented at the Cool Video Store. You know, right. I, I you know when when the Cool Video Store opened in Lexington, I remember going and getting Erga Music War yeah. Decline. Um, yeah, I, I saw all those movies through through there how about you i first saw it in uh 1984 on vhs and i had not been so as a kid i was into punk i discovered the ramones real early because the uncle floyd show and he had all those new york punk bands on and then by the time i got to high school so i'm like hey where's where's the punk rock kids (laughs) and the kids wearing dead kennedy shirts were actually listening to depeche mode and like fucking you know New Order and Spandau Ballet. And I was like, this is poison in my fucking ears. I was like, what do you guys hate? And they were like, Pink Floyd and Rush. I was like, okay, my two new favorite bands are Pink (laughs) Floyd and Rush. So I poured myself into that for a year and a half, two years. Then I I rented this movie, or I was at a friend's house, and we all watched it. And uh, I secretly, it like set off something in my head. I was like, oh, no, no, this is where I belong. And the other thing, like, I, I completely loved it. New York punk, even then, was so fucking narcissistic and, like, elite and, like, art world, in a, in a, in a bad way, to me, at least, that um, I was, I, I, you know, it didn't speak to me, except for the Ramones, who were actually, like, got pieces of garbage from Queens, like I was a piece of garbage from Brooklyn. Um, and then, uh, but this made me, and, and in particular, as, a, as, a, as an incel, as a proto incel, <laughs> the leaving segment, I was like, I, I, I have to become that guy. And, but I was real <laughs> fat. I was like wow. too fat and besotted with acne. I was like, I, I can't be that guy. Um, and then eventually, uh, when I was 17, I lost 100 pounds and I looked like fucking Darby Crash. And then what's funny to me is that in the, and I, I think like I look at those pictures, I'm like, I'm so handsome. And in that book, we got the neutron bomb. Everybody talked about, man, Darby Crash was one of the ugliest motherfuckers I've ever seen in my life. He wasn't, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's so ridiculous, too, because when you talk about the youth thing, you and I talk about this all the time, Mike, in terms of yeah. everybody's good looking in this movie. That's amazing. Everybody's that was my good note. I was like, everyone's I, good. Everyone today would be some kind of CW star. Everyone is good looking. And it is the funny thing of like, no, they're hideous, disgusting punks. It's like, no, all of them would get cast today. Yeah, I'm not that sure. Like, they're, they're, they're all hot. Good looking. There's a few that aren't that who, good. Who? Who? I don't want to name Which names. Which ones? They're alive. I okay, all right. Whatever. But no, I'm. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say they're all good. But looking. I feel like I mean, they all look even, way better for when they were younger than they do now. Right. Uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, you look at yeah. you look at you know Bobby Pin in the kitchen with that that skin is awful. The tooth's all fucked yeah. up, and you know he's just you know. Yeah. Yeah. He still looks great. He still looks like a handsome young thing. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because even back then, then, we kind of knew we weren't good looking. Yeah, I mean, some Uh, people were were wrong, Alan. You were wrong. (laughs) You were all good looking. You know what? You were. That's the tragedy. Toward the end, that's the tragedy. And there's this really narcissistic guy who talks about how much he likes to beat people up, and he has the X carved in his head. The X head. That's probably the best looking guy in the whole movie. 
You know, and he, yeah, I'm like, telling you, and he's like, I'm telling you, narcissism is, is amazing. Yeah. That, you know, it's just the, the amazing narcissism with that guy. It's just, yeah. 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 I don't, I'm, I'm kind of leery to say great. this because if he's still alive, he could probably still, you know, crack my skull. But <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, things happen. I bet that, you he's mellowed out. I bet you he's mellowed out. Yeah, that's out. crazy because I, you know, there, were, there was this thing called lads and like they became like later, there was like these LA punk gangs, you know? Like right. they were around like bad religion, and they would go to the, like the suicidals. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, whatever they were called, but the suicidals and the lads. I think they were uh, opponents. But I've right. I saw something go in a, a Facebook comment thread, like within the past few years, where some of these guys who had been in these, what to me were meaningless gangs back then are still threatening each other with death or disagreement. <laughs> wow. But for being disrespected, oh, I'm just like, how does that, how does that happen? How do you get stuck in that? Because, because, yeah. for a long yeah. time, yeah, like, I funny. feel like I, even now, I feel like I was really lucky to split. And it was, right. as if, the only reason to stick around with that is if, like, if in X or whatever, you had a band and you were getting something out of it. But even that, for a long time, like that was really rough. And like people are like Alice Bag, like Alice Bag, she never retired from music, but she retired from from going to places to play music because the right. environment was just too toxic. You know, it was just like when we okay before this movie came out, before like the situations that you see there were happening, the LA punk scene was very like, like I said, it was sprinkled with gays. Then also like the ch the chicks, the women in it played a huge influence on who was accepted, sure. who was, you know, who was, how, the behavior, like the behavior in front of the band. Uh, it, it, and a lot of bands had like, a, like either like there was a girl guitar player, a girl drummer, or there was all girls, or it was half girls. There was, there was a huge female component to it that doesn't seem to have really survived that much. Even, you know, there's Exine, there's Exine, but you got to know that after this movie came out, like, like X had... Problems with this crowd, like the, the the crowd that came in, like there's a story about the ex being at the country club where a lot of these like more hardcore bands ended up playing because it's out in the valley, and the police had a different attitude and it was a big auditorium type place and it could be you you could handle the the shows, like there's a story about John Doe going to the country club for a show and getting mugged in the bathroom and getting beat up by Jesus. you know the fucking crowd, so it was like it, right. like. It, I think a lot of the fun, easy, innocent kind of fun went out of it. And, right. and, uh, and, I'm, and, and I think that like when Penelope Sears came in, she caught it right at that, right at that, that transition. tilt, right at that tilt. And, yeah. But, but that didn't show, like she didn't show the weirdos or Black Randy or the Go-Go's. And I, I feel like some of those bands just refused to cooperate. X were on mm. Slash Records. So X... Of course they cooperated because you know the, the Slack magazine was her, you know, was her husband. Could you elaborate so, on on your feelings about X? I you know it's it's gone through different cha different uh, what do you call it. Let me set this up by saying no, I, you don't need I, to set up. Yeah, for a, a long time, I, yeah, for a long time I like I really kind of dismissed them, and I still don't listen to them really. But mm. uh, and I, and I think that their best songs are basically Black Sabbath ripoffs. And, and and I think here's where I went off on X. Here's where I soured on X, was they got an interview in the L.A. Times by Robert Hilbert, and this is when it looked like X was going to become huge, you know. Right. And they did this. There's a section of the L.A. Times called the Calendar on Sunday, and then they got a huge article in there, 
which they deserved. But somewhere in that interview, like John Doe is saying, yeah, not everybody's jumping on the punk bandwagon. And the thing is that, that even then everybody, like the Screamers, X, the Weirdos, everybody jumped on the punk bandwagon. That's what being punk meant. I mean, you came in, oh, look, here's this bandwagon. Let me jump on, you know? <laughs> and so, so, so but his, he goes, look, everybody's jumping on. Even Alice Cooper now is jumping on the punk bandwagon. Oh, and he just, said like, that? Yes, and I completely just... Dropped I all understand. regard yeah, for. I'm with you. I've just completely dropped it because there's no one who came out with I with a, eight, I'm 18. There's no one who came out with the entire Killer album, and and then they right, never right. would. They never will. And so that's when I kind of like my inside of my brain turned its back on that band. Right. But when you see the footage, oh, go ahead. Go but ahead. And, and for a long time they didn't play very often. Really. But now they play right. a lot. And there's something about, right. and the same with, is with Alice Bag. There's something about, and then Keith Morris also. He's in off. I mean, they play more, and the Red Cross guys play all. The, you know, they play a lot more. Right. And they also had a hard time with this crowd. You know, so there's something about like the fact that, you know, they're my age now. They're in their mid, their mid sixties, and they're playing this music, and they're playing it to these groups of people who it really means a lot to. That to me is pretty great even though like like i went yeah. and saw him maybe like two or three years ago and i you know i felt like that music the music didn't, doesn't really work for me all the way but the fact that they're doing it does work for me all the way and then you know i feel like i was really grateful i mean i remember i've said this to you before like i was never in a band you know that's that's my just one of my distinguishing features is i, I wrote a whole song about yeah, that quote yeah i knew i knew to never get in a band King. and i felt like people that i got in bands <laughs> were trying too hard and were jumping on the bandwagon and you know if you're in a band yeah. you know there's like that there's no image more tired than the guy with a guitar slung around his neck you know what i mean but right. I Somehow, like, like I was lucky enough to get enough far away that I got, and I got really lucky with that job at Hustler. I got really lucky that I did well there, that Larry liked me, that I had those years there, and I, and I had like this create this this platform for like what I like what I thought sh should be written. Like I had this platform from my point of view, and like I feel Very like much, I got yeah. I was way luckier in those years than like X were or, or other people who were kind of tied to the punk thing. Like they got right. too tied to, tied to the punk identity. And I know a lot of people, like from a slight, like half a generation later, who went to punk and like they, even now, you know, they're all, they're 50 or something, in their 50s, and like their primary identity is, is, is being punk or have been punk. And it, yeah. it I, I, you know, I feel really lucky that that's not my primary identity. I feel like my book is, it's, it's not about this, punk identity or being punk it's like this this whole little period in my world and the word punk even in the title is not really referring to punk rock music you know it's because it's these mm -hmm. elegies are punk like like punk the word meant before punk rock music yeah. came out you know right. but i don't know what that's got to do with anything let me just say this Alan, if you, nothing. <laughs> in the in, in olden times uh if you said the like the letter x to alan it was the full Niagara Falls slowly I turned, <laughs> except he wouldn't turn slowly. He would explode about how much he hated them. And I still have not evolved to the point where I can be at peace with Sonic Youth. Yeah, that's a different like thing. That like, I'm not, yeah, I, I'm with you there. But there's something okay. about, I don't know, there's something about X 
part of it is part of it is I feel kind of sad for them too because you know there was a point where it looked like they were going to take off and become stars. It didn't really look like that. But there was a point where it was perceived that that could happen. But if you look back now, you see it never really looked like that because they never had. They never got a toehold in New York. They didn't really. They were never famous in New York. Yeah, yeah. Here's the here's the only thing I'll say as an outside observer, though, in terms of it never looked like that then. But I will say, when you sit and watch this movie and you see that footage, I can see how every record label executive at the time must have been flipping the fuck out. They're in, they're very charismatic. They're they're rocking out. They're, they're a real very, band playing real. Songs. They're a real yeah. band, and and they're they seem they seem they're in this group of bands. They're the adults of the in the room is how they come up because they're the most careerist. Yeah. And Exine is the one who's saying, "Oh look, the whiskey sent us roses yeah. because we bring them in so much money." They, and also, is clearly they said, thrilled like, about like, it. "How are we going to play? We're desperate when we're rich." Yes. I mean, if if you had to pick, if you were to pick one band, if you could have gone in a time machine 20 years, so which one of these bands will still be doing it when they're 60? You would pick X, you know, the way they come off in this movie. And they did pick that, but they picked it like they would be flying in Learjets, not, you know, bands. But here's the thing. But that's that's part of why I feel like a, like I got to go with them because the whole, sure. I, like my disappointments, like the whole thing about like why I even wrote a book about that scene was, was a lot to do with the disappointments. And I thought that it was just me. And then I had a conversation with Brendan Mullen, like in the early 2000s. Right. And, and you should say who he is. He's, he's in this movie. He's the guy he's that the ran movie. the mask. He was very, very uh, instrumental in, the, in there being an L.A. punk scene. But he had, like we talked about it, he had the same misgivings that I had. He had the same kind of like, feeling that something had been lost and squandered and that he'd missed out. He, you know, he had very similar feelings. And then I started asking around a little bit more and I realized that my experience of it was not just because I'm like some envious little small-minded shitheel person. It was almost universal. <laughs> so, yeah. which is not to say that we weren't all little small-minded, envious, shitheel little people, but it right. made it, it made me feel like, okay, then this is, this is an actual kind of like, uh, what do you call it? thing that we all went through? It, it, I, I don't know. It gave me permission I want to, to take go ahead a bigger. Let's like a macro look at this. So you have the decline of Western civilization, part one in eighty one. Then part two, the same physical territory of Los Angeles, rock, you know, up and coming rock, is here, and yeah. it's like this: the incredible stupidization that happened to the entire. Uh, at least, you know, American society that kicked in in the 80s. And you talk about disappointment. And growing up as a kid who loved New Wave on the radio, um, loved uh, anything kind of arty and, and out of that punk world as a little kid, thinking that that was going to be the future and, and having it look like that's what rock music would continue <laughs> to be. And then it took such a fucking nosedive about 83 or so. And... um you know, it led to this incredible, uh, you know, the, the, the idiotization that has only compounded by the day since then. So there's, well, there's, there's that that part, that. It's a point of view on decline that that's the yeah. idiotization is what's coming in with like not exactly. exactly yeah. So yeah. with the bands, yeah. even though like like the circle jerks and the black flags and the fear, they're very yeah. they're very um, they're compelling and they're at, at what yeah. they're doing. They're very good at, you know, like yeah. Lee Ving has, a, you know, I've read things with him and he, he would as i recall he would say that you know he had 
he played better than anyone in the punk scene, and his he was actually a more gifted musician and a more you know than anyone else. And yeah, and it's kind of like, well, why? I mean, then what do you? Yeah. Why don't you go be a gifted musician somewhere? But you can see it in the playing in that movie that those guys could really right. play. You know, and they're yeah. they're like the the Metro Squad, the band that Black Randy fronted. They could really play, but the right. you know at the time it seemed like there were very few bands that could really play, and uh and then but that wasn't the stupidization, like the stupidization right. comes in later. Like there's this meme going around among all these like 55 year old punk rockers, and it shows like the it's a like the poster for Suburbia with all those punk kids walking towards you, yeah. you know. And then the other half of the meme is like a bunch of like 55-year-olds, like like Trump supporters, like and, the, and yeah. then the, the like the copy for the meme is like, who would have thought that all my punk friends would turn into Trump people? And people are like, oh, I never would have seen this. And then like I'm like, I don't see the fucking difference. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I absolutely. think it's the same. Thing. Absolutely, a hundred percent. I'm with you. I think that's why Johnny Rotten's so into Trump. I think that's why. Isn't it Zine too? Hasn't she well, given she, some yeah. kind? Of, Supposedly, I mean, yeah. yeah I want to say Johnny Rotten was being cheeky. When he uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, Morrissey. <laughs> Mar I mean, Morrissey. Exine seems mentally ill because she's like. I think she had some. Yeah, I think she had some kind of breakdowns. I, I yeah. think it's the. I think it's the same impulse. I, I have right. to agree. It, it may not be uh, intellectualized, well, but yes, even it's absolutely you, the same you, Like impulse. you look at this movie from last I, night. I, last night, you know this from 1980, <laughs> 1981. Yeah. yeah, and at the end, you have her talking to Eugene and the and the guy that beats people right. up, and uh, even Pat Smear and like the. Right. Like the things they're saying, it's just like, you know, these guys, this is not like, they're, they're kind of fucking, Right. I would not want to get stuck in a conversation with these people, you know? Who, let me ask you this, Alan, when we're talking about the, your feelings, who was your favorite band in this movie? Of the, of the artists there, who did you, and I mean watching it for this podcast, who did uh, you enjoy the most? Yeah, I've always, I've never really been like a, won over by fierce stick but i feel yeah. like they played they really played well i saw like yeah. i played uh that movie the 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 other x movie the x documentary that's about x yeah i, I watched that yeah, recently right, right. which we'll talk yeah. about sometime in the future but uh that also like that gave me a better appreciation for them but not because of the music necessarily but because of the fact that you know they really had this sense that they were going to be elevated to this you know this level of existence of lifestyle, this lifestyle level right. that they didn't really. But I, I would I say. I mean, I always think fear. about them getting those roses from the whiskey. And then, you know, six years later, who the fuck is playing at the whiskey? It's like, you know, Odin. Well, they were at Gazaris. But they mentioned Black Flag mentions Gazaris. Yeah. And, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. God, and their, I thought their footage completely wrong. Yeah, Black yeah, that guy, I gotta say, that, that, they meant it. I mean, like, yeah, of all yeah. the bands, they were, they were a really ferocious band. But that singer was really good. He was, he may oh have been one God, of the best. Oh my God, he was great. He may have been one of the, yeah, one of the best in that great. band. Yeah. But here's yeah, the thing, it's she, like, it's she, hard to watch that without, like, there's this, all this history of the guitar player, like, the, all these, yeah. no, I have no history with him. I, but, I, but you right. see all this, yeah. you know, like, people have, like no one, talk, no one who knows them really talks well about them. So there's, there's all that's right. mixed right. in there. I don't know. Right. right. You know who I really liked a lot was Nicole Panter. 
It was, oh, yeah. Uh, the germs manager. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. She was great. She's yeah, awesome. I ended up Googling her because of because of this. Yeah. So it's like, and she's still out there writing and she, um, racing art, apparently. But it's funny because it's very funny. funny. Well, the first time I saw it, like, I didn't really know her that well, whatever. And I just thought, oh, Jesus. You know, and this, I'm talking, the first time I saw it, I probably, I couldn't even see it, probably, like, back in 1982 or whatever. But like four or five years ago, I was just like, okay, okay. But last night when I looked at it, I realized how deadpan she is being. And she oh, is hilarious. fucking oh, hilarious. Because so I've yeah. met her yeah. since. Like I know her a little bit now. Yeah. And like when she was, uh, she was a professor <laughs> out at like Cal Arts or something like that. And she had doing some yard sale and I contacted her. Go, Do you have any records? I'd like to see if you have any records. And she recognized my name and she had me come out there and talk to her class. And they paid me 250 oh, bucks. So I kind of oh, met her wow. there. And like, so I have a, you know, I have a, Different, and then I friends with her on Facebook, and she had this. She had some great things on Facebook. She had a dog that got cancer, and she'd do a different photo of the dog every day. It was a, today the the black dog took cancer. Fuck you by you know going in the going in the bathtub. Today, you know, all these different things, <laughs> and then she fucking fell in love. She fell in love with this guy. He was an amazing guy. He's like this antiquarian bookseller uh, expert, and and. Uh, Toward the end of the year, like three years ago, he got hit by a fucking car like on Crescent Heights and, and oh, killed. Jesus killed. So she's had this oh, really sure. fucking tough thing. I saw her on the street, like going to a concert or something within the last half year. She's really, you know, she is really a tough force. And I and, 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 she's, and so seeing it last night and realized, oh yeah, this is Nicole. Like like putting it with it all together, like she was probably my right. favorite person in the whole movie. She's a big part of why the germ segment is so fantastic. Her yeah. deadpan counterpoint. And when you're talking about Darby is pretty much the star of the movie, right. you, you know, um, but but it's such a great punchline when it freeze frames on her at the end. And it says Nicole quit managing the germs. <laughs> and and that is that is why I thought this movie was so good. Penelope Spears clearly had comedy chops. And yeah. was, thing, was Penelope yeah, Spears. Is she it's so a comedy. Witty. She's so witty yes. as a filmmaker. Her edits, yeah. her choices when the when they do freeze frames. Okay, some of this yeah, is great. some of this is like why maybe I didn't like it at certain times is because right. her wittiness is at the like like I don't know about how if I feel the same way now, but previously when I'd watched it, like some of her wittiness, like she seemed to present the thing as it was dumber than it really was. Like like people were mm. coming up as dumber than they really were. And that, I understand and that. that. I, I had and like this whole idealization is just right. And then, and then also the smart people were not on the tape. Like the guys in the right. metroscope were like Black Randy was a really smart person. The Go Go's pretty smart people. The right. uh, the weirdos are also relatively smart. You know, right. So the smart people weren't on the tape for the most part. Right. And even yeah. even X, like like if, if the the comparison between uh, decline and lost music. Like X is so much smarter in Lost Music. When they talk about their music, right. when they talk about how they came out here, when they like everything, there's so much like more compelling and articulate. Whereas in Decline, like everybody seems like they're on kind of a spectrum, kind of a special needs spectrum to some extent. <laughs> and, right. And they right. weren't really. They weren't. Or they would right. not have had Why? But she asked. was going for laughs. She was going for comedy. Like, it's no coincidence that she would end up making Wayne's no. World and the Beverly no. Hillbillies and shit. You, no, you know? Like, that was clearly but, but that, her sensibility. Me, like, like, whether or not she went for that, like, did not excuse it to me. Like, like her intent right. did not 
I could give a fuck about her intent. You know, these were people sure. that, yeah, that right. at one point sort of meant something to me or like right. maybe right. not them personally, right. but like this whole like grouping of people, you know, it, they meant something to me at one time. Like the Melissa and, and, um, Lorna, when they're sitting there talking about things, a couple of things, like, like they were, you know, they were, I had interactions with them where they really helped me out at certain times, you know? So it's, yeah, right. It's right. A, so it's sometimes like, it's kind of like, you know, having like someone who is not necessarily you or your friend, but they're on a continuum with you and your friend and they're put up as like, kind of like a, like human punchlines. And that I, part, I, I, I you know, go for that. Yeah. That, but but with this distance, I don't. It's, it's less bothersome to me. This distance, and then also the fact, like Nicole is obviously ahead of Penelope. Like Nicole's mm -hmm. fucking whole demeanor. Sure. Like yes. Nicole is is like yes. like like that isn't Penelope coming up with the comedy chop. That's Nicole right. saying, you know, fuck you. This is what you're gonna get. And and but, but beautifully, that's funny. But and, and, and that's funny. And she found someone funny, and she yeah. could anchor a whole segment yeah. with and, it. Yes, but, but, exactly. But you can see because Nicole is in, in control. Like it's not it's right. like consent, right? Like Nicole, it's not just that Nicole consents to play this punchline. She's in control of what this this punchline right. is. Actually, you're actually the punchline for this punchline. Like that's that's right. that's right. what her humor is. Like your humor. Like you might look at that and think, oh, look, this girl is the punchline. But in her, but it, from her side of it, no. you, yeah. my friend, are the punchline. Whereas a lot of the other ones. They didn't even realize they were fucking punchlines. And, and that's sort of, you know, whatever. All right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we're, we're at it 90 minutes now, boys. So we're going to go to the second movie. <laughs> well, that was a lot to unpack, though. I can see. I can see you had a very emotional reaction well, to it. It makes, it makes like, sense. Like, even though, like, this probably has nothing to do with the movie, really. It has to do with what happened. Right. But, like slam dancing, but that's why we wanted you to talk about it. Slam dancing yeah. initially was a reason to bump up against girls. Like I'm going to say this, and you're going to go, "Oh, ha ha!" He's saying this, but me and my friend Rod Donahue invented slam dancing. And people who I tell this to outside of the initial LA punk, they're like, "Sure, you did." But anybody I tell this to in LA punk, they go, "You know, I think you did," because when we were there, <laughs> we started. There was no slam dancing. In the movie, they talk about the pogo and how you jump up and down yeah. the pogo. There's no fucking pogo. Did you look at the footage? There's no pogo anywhere. That's, no. that's very yeah. true. So anyway, that so then the true. slam dancing started as being really drunk, kind of stumbling a little bit, bumping into a girl. But hey, that's kind of great. Then her pushing me back. And oh, look, I bumped into another girl because there were so many girls. There are so many girls right. in the in the front <laughs> area. There are so many girls. And so then you go, oh, and then you bump into another one. Then she'd push you, and then the girls would bump into each other. And that was what it was. There would be this, this pocket of, you know, like 70% of the people bumping into each other and basically frottage. Is that what it's called? You know, basically just, yes, it is. just <laughs> running up sure. and down. Act like you don't know. Because we were socially inept. <laughs> we were all socially inept. I was also married. We were all socially inept. And this is how we kind of <laughs> fucking got off with each other in ways. You know, it was, it was an affectionate thing. And it was only at the mask and then one night at the whiskey, because the whiskey, when, when the whiskey put on punk shows, you'd have more people come from the valley, all these outsiders, right? It was because at the mask, it was just like basically the, the core 100 to 200 people, like the, 100, like the core, right? But then you get the mask and there'd be all these outsiders. And I'm there one time. Early on with my friend Rod, and I'm, I, I don't know if X is playing or who was playing, maybe the screamers, and he says, 
watch this. And he was going to tell me to hold his beer, but then he knew that was wrong. And he went out in the crowd and he did a zigzag bumping into everybody. And the crowd was seated. It was like, there was like about probably 30%, 40% us, right? So he went out there and he did the zigzag through the crowd. He zigged back back. And by the time he got to me, the slam dancing was happening there. And it was the same thing. It was like guys, girls, lots of girls. And it was, it was pushing in a way where you got to fucking push up against it was a very heterosexual kind of exchange. And then in the mass, like down at the mask, if somebody came down there, like they're like, I, I think the controllers at one point, they showed up and they, they misinterpreted it and they started doing this more like, you know, aggressive, like shoving people right. so they would fall. And like the girls fucking surrounded them and talked them, this isn't what you do. You know, they fucking, like, I think they, right. one guy, they stabbed him with a hat pin. Like they had hat pins and they would stab. Like if you came in and yeah. got aggressive, Oof. they would fucking stab you with hat pins. So it was, it was, you know, they held, we, it was protected and it was like held on to as long as we could. But by the time this movie came out, it had turned into this fucking, uh, it's kind of, you know, it's like a repressed homosexuality kind of like, why don't you just join a fucking rugby team if you want to rub up against guys that much? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, would, so it was, so that is something that I feel like a lot of people who were in that first mask groups like that was a that was a signal that well we're not really we're not really as evolved anymore because we're we're going to stand back we're not up in the front we're not getting into that that's not what we're into you know and that was I was surprised how rough the footage was yeah, it got I was rough surprised really how fast. rough some of the footage really was fast. yeah and like we would call them yeah. they were called jocks I'd go these are not these are not at this time we would use the word punks whatever well these aren't really punks these are jocks these are people who went right. to high school and played sports. And were you know accepted as sports people in high school, and now they've come and they come into this thing. They've cut their fucking hair off, and they're just coming out here and acting like jocks. And it was you know, and there was like an animosity there, and whatever you know. So that's something that, yeah. as well that when I see the movie, like it's sort of you know, it's it's like it's it's not the movie's fault, and it's it's not a misrepresentation by any means, mm -hmm. but it does kind of like makes it. It's not bittersweet. It's just bitter. Right. I got you. <laughs> All right. And, you know, and, and, and I wanted to get that, that last note, part in so people know that I appreciate I, I it. No, did, no, I'm glad you did, I did because slam dancing. And I've because had I that, wanted I've to had talk that about myself. It's official. I've had that verified yeah. by Alice Bag. I've had it verified by Don Bowles. I've right. had it verified by Gaze X. And then my friend Rod Donnie, who was later in the, in the Mal Mouse, he's bass player for the Mal Mouse. He, of course, everything is vague, <clears throat> but he kind of, he kind of remembers the, what he, he, that he did that thing at the Whiskey as well. There you go. All right. And if anyone, anyone can dispute this if you want, <laughs> but if you do dispute it, it's got to be, if it's not me, then it's one of the, another dozen people who were there right. in the room with oh. me. Oh. So if you, if I you was hoping not, you were going to say. If you're not one of the dozen no. people in the room, you cannot dispute it. Because if, if you want to say I, I, it wasn't really me, it was actually how, you know, Marty Goldberg, could have been Marty Goldberg, but Marty Goldberg thinks it was me. All right. I thought you were going to say, if you dispute me, you have to slam dance me. You have to win <laughs> yeah, yeah, in a no, battle of the. That would. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. There are no girls out there. I mean, what's the fucking point? Well, I mean, the whole yeah. idea, like, like, oh yeah, we're there because we have aggression and we want to get aggression out, and it's like, what? Come yeah. On. Well, that's such a limited point of view. I don't understand. You know, and the, you know, and 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 that kind of went down as you know as as gospel. Right, like the movie kind of yeah. like legitimized this one sure. sort of Absolutely. limited intellect's point of view as being like yeah. the real point of view, 
It's kind of like that. And then like they're having a Club 88 guy saying, yeah, it's about aggression and this is why they pogo. And they're not, you know, it's like, are you looking at what's going on? And even Brendan going, the music, it's all about this music that's 380 beats a second and it's all really fast. Yeah. But both germ songs are just sludgy, sludgy songs. Half, half the X yeah. songs, very sludgy songs, you know. So yeah. it's like, what, what, you know. The whole thing about having I wish I wish they had interviewed you. I wish they had interviewed you to say it's about dry humping, ladies and gentlemen. That's just that's what it's about, okay? And little groping, groping, little gropings here and there, like shoulder grope. The whole little shoulder grope, right? A lot of like yeah, we know it. Yeah, but you would also get groped. I mean, you would be getting groped out there, like the the slam dancing. Like you get like three gropes a song. It was fucking great. Was the next step up from like the eighth grade kissing party? Very much, time. very much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, God, I had some other let's, point, but let's just move on to. Uh, yeah, let's move on to something much less fun to talk about. Debido, <laughs> debido. <laughs> the very definition of kerplop, debido. Yeah. Kerplunk, just to be specific, kerplunk. No, no, no. It goes beyond kerplunk to kerplunk. Oh, into a kerplunk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Because it has to rhyme with flop. Yeah, curve I just decided that because I, I misspoke. I'm covering it's, for myself. It's, it's, not, it's a, not a good movie. No. I think we can all, <laughs> all safely agree this was not a quality film. I'm going film. to say definitively, this is the worst commercially released film I have ever watched, I have ever seen. It's uh Yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty. I, I would, I would say that's. I'm trying to think of a worse one, and it's. Uh, you know, the thing is, it, the most interesting thing about it is the backstory of how it came about. Right, and that's not interesting. Yeah. Like, I don't even want to say it. I don't even think we should say it. Although I will say this, that I can't. I did so much Google, and to I don't know, Mike. Maybe you want to give more of a quick overview. But this started as. A runaways. We're gonna have Joan Jett and three actresses who are stand-ins for the original Runaways do a Runaways movie. Their hard like days, the night. hard days night. Yeah, with, with them goofing around, sticking it up. They shot forty minutes of footage, apparently. Um, uh, some concert footage. Some of them goofing around doing comedy with Artie Johnson and Peter Noon from Herman's Hermits. And then uh, this sitcom producer uh, and writer for Welcome Back, Cotter, Alan, Alan Sachs, Sachs was brought in to yeah. do something to salvage that footage to make a movie out of it. Here's what I can't find online, and I'd love to know if you did, Mike. Who made that Runaways movie? I can't find who the director was anywhere. No one will own up to it. And when you say there's this boring thing behind it, it's the most interesting thing about it. Yeah. I wanted to just watch that 40 minutes bad Runaways movie. Well, that's part Everybody of shut up. Everybody stop talking over it. Joan Jett yes. is really compelling. They, Joan Jett has presence. Joan Jett you want to see. Yes. I don't really see Ray Sharkey. Ray Sharkey is the male star. Yes. I don't, I, there's not a moment when Ray Sharkey was on the screen that I was really wanting, that I wasn't wishing it was over. Do you remember writing the Ray Sharkey asshole of the month column? I don't think I read, was Ray Sharkey every asshole of the month? He was. For what? What did he do? He infected a bunch of people with AIDS, knowing. You know, I heard that. I don't think it made. I don't think it made asshole of the month. I remember it going around. I remember hearing rumors about that. You know, as as accepted truth. Right. And I, I believe he did die of HIV, and he had a bunch of girlfriends before you know he died. But I don't know how. I many believe he was an asshole of the month. I, it might have been Mark Wallace. No, no, this was way before that. 
You know what, guys? My Zoom, my device is going to die here. Could we take just like a two-minute break for me to plug yeah, in? Yeah, I got to go run out. Right. I got to go run out and get my plug in. Is that in. cool? Yeah. Hang on, bro. I'll should, should, Ben, should we, should we stop or just keep the audio going? Keep it. You should keep the audio going. Okay, okay, okay. I'll be as fast as possible. So, so Alan Sachs, I found an interview with on another podcast called uh, Proudly Resents was the name of it. This guy had found Alan and interviewed him. And he is a weird character who moved in and out of the music scene after after Welcome Back, Cotter, in his sitcom time. Ended up being like a manager for the Jonas Brothers and, and making Disney Channel movies, like teen stuff. But in this interview, essentially said that Dubidio came out of like his around age 40 kind of super depressed midlife crisis dark kind night of, of the soul yeah yes yeah so we all got to share in that you know i'm surprised yes, we did i'm surprised it wasn't better i really would have expected <laughs> yeah like i agree said, yeah because i mean he's a professional guy tv guy you yeah. know the tv writer is the god of today right i mean everybody the tv writer is the cultural epi- you know, apex what, Isn't that true, Aaron? A hundred percent. God, I've been waiting for someone to say this. the TV this. writer world, you know. Like, I mean, people go to Yale to become <laughs> yes. TV writers. The whole, the whole, our culture. Some people go to Hustler and become TV writers. Yeah, but it, that, <laughs> that, that was too. many years ago. But the whole yeah. fucking, like, educational elite is geared toward turning out TV writers now. And so, I mean, this guy was one of the original TV writers, you would expect. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really, a funny show, Will. He let the side down. Yeah, Welcome Back, Carter. Fantastic show. So he let the side down with this fucking DiBidio. Yeah. Well, the irony uh, is, is he didn't write DiBidio. But he. So who wrote all the yappy yappy? Uh, so well, he, yeah. Here's the intro. So he directed it and and was the one who was tasked with coming up with the idea of how do we sp- save this footage and said make it about me. Have Ray Sharkey play me. The name of his DiBidio's real name is Alan Shapiro in the uh, which is clearly a message to our guest. Alan yes, McDonnell and Christian Shapiro. Yes, clearly that was encoded. Clue, clearly, <laughs> yes. But that the was writer some kind of signal is... like a Manchurian candidate. I don't know what you're going to do next, but yeah, yeah, we'll find out. But the but, but the actual to... writer. Did you get his name down, Mike? It's Mark. Yes. It's Junior in Last House on the it's Left. Fucking Junior from Last yeah. House on the Left, <laughs> who so also who became a sitcom writer. Who came up with all that chatter? All the chatter that go, that's going on, like the. I think th- that is credited to Alan Sachs, El Duce, and um, whoever they and Sicky Wife Beater, and and th- so I th- so Dirt Scratch. Think, so I th- so just it's just them screwing around. Still, yes, I would hope that around. Alan Sachs would, would screw around a little better. He was having a hard time, <laughs> it, he, and it really comes through in this movie. He's having a bad time. He spends the whole time trying to get the girl so, to stay. They're trying to get the girl to stay. And yes. Have it. Yeah. You know, so Ben, while- our, uh, my 70 movies we saw in the 70s co-host who's doing our audio, he made an excellent point. It is the first movie that ever came out with its own commentary, tag, commentary track built into it. Yeah. It that doesn't really, make it, it in any way not the worst experience I've ever had in a life. No, it, it really should, be, it really should be explained. Yeah. 
We, we really should explain. So, so first you got the Runaways movie footage. Then you have Ray Sharkey playing the director, working with an editor, Durf Scratch, saying, I'm a genius, we're going to make this movie, and kind of holding Durf this woman hostage. Durf Scratch is in fear. He's fine. a member of fear. Yeah. And then, on top of that, you have Alan Sachs, the real-life Alan Sachs, and these other people talking, like Ben is saying, commentary style, over that footage. And it, while also cutting in constant black-and-white Polaroids of... Doing anything they can to, as he says, liven it up. To stretch it, but, well, uh, to stretch it out. Yeah. And stretch it out. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the and Polaroids the, are like of cigarette butts, dead cats in alleys. Ugh. There's still fun, fucking and there's a bunch of Ed Clover photos. Like the, the, there's a bunch of those Ed Clover, uh, L.A. Punk iconic photos. Right. Like every time you have someone in L.A. Punk, you have like 20 Ed Clover photos. Right. And a bunch of Gary Panther artwork, yeah. too. Well, Gary Panther does yeah. the fucking credits or something, right? Yes, yes, yeah. Well, and the Screamers yeah. logo. There's a Screamers poster. I have one of those downstairs. Yeah, he's got that in there. Well, that's why we were also going to do Population 1 for this episode, but at some point we have to return to our lives. Um, and <laughs> because of the Screamers, uh, they just took the logo, put it on the poster, and they actually cut to it in the movie at one point. Yeah. And you know that that poster, Alan, when I uh, babysat for your beloved dog, Mugger, you yeah. had that poster in the house, and I was like, oh, shit, I should listen to the Screamers. I've never really checked them out. And I, I loved them. Yeah, they were not so bad. You they turned had, me on. Yeah, they had something going on, which was not uh, evident anywhere in decline of Western civilization, but right. what do you do? Here's, here's two nice things I'll say about the movie. I liked the scene where the mo- evil mobster financier Uncle Leo from Seinfeld. Sends a singing telegram guy to threaten his life. That was a clever a little comedy moment. And Durf Scratch, not bad. No, he's. Good. I, I didn't think Durf was that bad. Of all the yes, of all the yeah. actors, I didn't even realize it was Durf watching this. Those are those are the two nicest things uh, I say. I will uh, say and I, other. I enjoyed and Rainbow Smith. Scenes. I enjoyed well Rainbow Smith. Did you ever come across her, Alan, in the punk scene? No, Rainbow. Okay, one. That, that, that was. I mean, I don't know. Answer. I have no idea. But yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so Rainbow Smith. So we, in the fake Runaways movie, the Runaways are played by Rainbow Smith plays drums, the great uh, '70s drive-in actress uh, who had been in Cheech and Chong's live show, is in Up and Smoke, um, and the other members are played by Karen and Kathy Fallentine. And looking them up, I came across this hilarious exchange. Isn't Kathy Valentine a Goho? A Goho. No, no. (laughs) Valentine. Oh, Valentine. With an F. So uh, on the Joan Jett and the Blackhearts official Facebook page, there was a message in 2015. Joan, my sister and I played with you in a movie called We're All Crazy Now. I was the bass player, Cat Valentine. Keyboard was Karen Valentine. And we heard that you will be playing the Aqua Sea C- Casino in Palm Springs on December 31st. Would like to meet up with you backstage after the show or before if that's possible. Don't know if you remember us. Would be great to see you. Thanks, Cat. So it got one response from a guy named Benny Ace. And there's nothing else on his Facebook page. It says, Hi, Kathy. Don't know if you remember me, but either you or Karen did drugs and made out with me in a bungalow at the Tropicana <laughs> Motel back in 77. <laughs> Never could get in touch with you again, but the memories lingers to the memory lingers to this day. I, I see you're sober now. Me too. Thirty three years. Hope you and Karen are both well. 
and I wish I could remember which one of you I made out with, exclamation point. And that got no reply. That's just sitting oh. on Facebook. Oh, that just sat there? <laughs> yeah. There's still time. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope there was a DM or something involved. In yeah. There. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I so like some of the narrating music. these photographs. And I want to say. Yeah, some Ray, good music. Ray Sharkey. And I'm sorry, Alan Sachs is the main narrator. He sounds like a butch version of uh, Bill Landis from last time. Uh, from Jesus Christ. He sounds like a butch version of Bill Landis from Sleazoid Express. And yeah. I want to say, I hate that fucking accent. Those are the mm. fucking morons that Ben Reiser and I grew up with. Where he's like, I wish I could go back to the old neighborhood and play stickball. That made it really hard to listen to. egg creams. It was very Fuck painful. You. Part of the Part of the, the painful part was the accents yeah. and the way they talked. Because I liked the photographs a lot better. I mean, it was a way yeah. less painful. Like when they were actually had the mm-hmm. film version, it was just like, oh, yeah. Jesus Christ, how much more? You know, I, I'd pause it to see right. how many more minutes I would have. And I want to say, you want to talk about Trump supporters? Like, they always picture, you picture, like, people of Walmart and these rednecks. The fucking dipshitticuses that Ben and I grew up with, that is Trump's core, core, core constituency. People who talk like Bill Landis and Alan Sachs. And I, I just, a friend of mine was at uh, the beach in Queens today and took pictures of all the Trump flags that were on the fucking beach. <laughs> so. I really felt bad for Joan Jett watching this movie that she did this at the runway yeah. and then ends up and then ends up with El Duce calling her a slut. <laughs> like, I, I was like, man, this this she was not. She might have dried her tears with hundred dollar bills at that point. So she, I, I she hope so. Okay. I hope so. That, yeah, I, El Duce, you had to really be a fucking simp to enjoy the fucking mentors. I'm just, you know, I guess you know what? That one lyrics. song, though, that, that one song, that one song, Get Up and Die, which is the song in this movie, I yeah, have always thought like, completely I, yeah, yeah. kicks ass. Monstrous, like, amazing yeah. song. Incredible guitar solo. And, but, song, but yes. What about the song where they go, fucking suck and cook and clean? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't remember that one for. specifically. I mean, they had uh, okay, I remember being like, like, at, I, like I, uh, I'm, I'm something about um, I'm going through your purse or something. That, see, that's another song. good right. one. Yeah. Shut my mouth. It's that. Yeah. I'll tell going you this, Mike. I'll tell you this. Song. It's this one EP they had because I used to have it. It had four yeah. songs: "Going Through Your Purse," "Get Up and Die," and I can't remember the other two. But it had the perfect production, and the drummer ruled, and the guitar was amazing, well, and that was their shining moment. Oh, he was the drummer. Oh, I, I thought so, he was yeah. a bassist. For some... Okay, all right. Oh, my God. He was definitely the, the singer. Yeah. The singer, yeah. wife beater was the drummer. No, nah, Duchy was uh, behind the drums, I believe. Right. I could be wrong. I don't okay. know. But I've, I've seen, sure I've seen the wrong. picture of him behind the drums. Yeah, but it was that one EP, I think, on Mystic Records, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I have it was that just, one. just amazing. Yeah. But, but I, I used to walk around for years in a mentor's T-shirt to, you know. To annoy people. Be, to, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> just another way to annoy And, uh. Yeah. So yeah, and I will say oh so I, here's a note I took the Agnes Moorhead is God graffiti I like to I like to imagine that was put there by the McDonald's brothers from Red Cross maybe there's there's also a lads there's some lads graffiti as well somewhere yeah. and and to Alan's earlier point about uh, the changing music um, so when I started getting into punk from '84 on back into it. Uh, I went to see the Circle Jerks in 86, and Red Cross opened for them. And th- so I had never heard of them. This band comes out, they have hair down to their ass. They opened with Jesus Christ Superstar. 
And I was like, I can't, is this real? I'm, I'm, this is my fucking dream. This is, this is, it's happening. And everybody, it was all skinhead crowd, just throwing beer cans at them, just flying fingers in the air. I was like, ugh. I saw some old interview with them recently. It was from a flip side. It was like some, right. someone was selling a flip side, and I could see like two right. paragraphs of it. And one of the McDonald brothers was talking about, go, you, would play, you would play these crowds, and they just hated you, but there's nowhere else to play. So that's right. why they just right. going, kept going and playing. Right. But they were, really, the they were caught. The fact that because they couldn't be punks and they couldn't be hair metal, but they were elements of both. Well, they could be whatever they wanted because they could really they, they right. could play a lot of different styles, like that, yeah. like like they had that whole thrash metal thing for the yeah. joke album, Anarchy Six, or whatever. Anarchy Six, Six yeah. But they, uh, it, it, you would hope that there would have been able for the crowd to, to kind of like split up. And that there would be yeah. a place for them to play with suburban lines, you know, because suburban, right, right. You know, just is more imaginative bands that, that right. weren't just in this one track, because it became like a kind and of then, a single track, you know. Ben, uh, who's working our audio, he first saw them with Hoodoo Gurus, which I think is a much better fit. Well, yeah, they, they'd be a better chance that they're not going to get spit on and right, exactly, you yeah. know, hurt. You know, Mike, you mentioning the uh, Agnes Moorhead is God thing just remind me of something I forgot to mention in the decline talk, which was, uh, did you notice the little shout out when John Doe was talking about his buddy who, who, oh, we got, oh, wait, no, it was in Black Flag. He was talking about getting the Mohawk because he was searching. He said, yeah, yeah he went from Jesus to Buddha to Harvey Kurtzman. Did you notice that? No. He said Harvey Kurtzman instead of Hari wow. Krishna. Yeah, I, th- I thought you would enjoy that. That was wow. a very I thought he clever... said Harvey Krishna. He said Harvey Kurtzman. I think he actually, said Harvey which Krishna. Which I was like, oh, God. I, but we got to get the tape yeah, now. Yeah, Let's yeah. go to the tape. Yeah. Ben, no, get the audio. Let's go. I like your version better, but I think he said yeah, Harvey clearly, Krishna. Yeah, clearly, yeah. So, oh, yeah, I but the, nothing nothing that funny in DeBedio. The two parts of this I like were the two nightmare segments with... Uh, Joanna Vent. Yeah, Joanna went. I thought that song was great, and she was great. And then uh, Tex from Tex and the Horseheads and the other. Yeah. But the thing is, like, we're not talking about it today, but you get the Population One, and, like, Sheila is so far beyond both of those. It was kind of of a shame. Uh, But, you know, Joanna went was married to Stuart Cornfield for many years, who was a producer with um, Ben Stiller. He was in... uh, Oh, right. He was in that fucking, what was that, that Fast Times? I think he's in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, yeah, High. yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I and then he produced right. Tropic Thunder. He produced all, all sorts of things. But I met right. him one time when a friend of mine worked for Ben Stiller, and we were trying to, like, get a script doctored, and he doctored it for us a little bit. Very nice yeah. guy. He died recently. Really a nice guy. Oh, sorry to hear that. Nice. But you had a lot of downer moments in this episode. Yeah, I'm on here. I'm here. <laughs> I'm on the downer slide. Uh, you know, it started with just nonstop piss and shit talk, and then, it, and then <laughs> you yeah. know, also like Gary Panther talking about Gary Panther, yeah, doing the the credits and have you know cutting away to that poster and stuff. Like people, do people know that Gary Panther was the whole Pee Wee's Playhouse, the whole Pee Wee's Playhouse yeah, art direction, the whole yeah. production thing was yeah. that's all Gary Panther's fucking mind, yeah. you know. Yeah, I think he got. I think he got his own documentary recently, right? Oh, Is that correct? I don't know. A- am I crazy? I think he did get a documentary that, that talked about a lot of the Pee Wee stuff. And, he yeah. was. He wrote. He uh, did cartoons for Slash as well, and then he did a couple for Hustler. He did a yeah. couple of illustrations for Hustler. 
And you know, he he uh for the cake, which is the Chicago Alternative Comics Expo, he always donates art every year. Really? To uh, oh, the auction. I think he's from Texas. I think Texans have a certain generosity. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, so okay, so I used to but even just the fact that Gary Panda is going to do the, the fucking credits would right. lead you to believe that this is going to be way better than it yeah. is. And I, I, I have the fact that Joanna Vent is in there is like, oh, this should be kind of interesting. But no, you know, you think that there's certain yeah. names that go that are in here, and you think, well, that's right. going to have something going for it. But that Ray Sharkey accent and the accents in the fucking speakover, and then just the the uh. simp the simp platitudes in the speakover yeah. is. Unbearable. Unbearable. I would say this movie rates unbearable. (laughs) And you know, you've heard me. I I can bear myself. I I can bear a lot. I truly hate the singing voice of Mike Ness from Social Distortion. It is the worst. And uh, one truth I learned living in L.A., this was a joke I wrote 25 years ago in my head. Bad religion and social distortion are the Beatles and the Stones of people you don't want to talk to. Yeah, I can see how you're saying that. But I kind of came to like social distortion through psychedelic furs. Because I used to always insult social distortionists saying they sound like psychedelic furs demos. And then I realized, like, that's not a bad thing to sound like. <laughs> so no, that sounds of, great. Yeah, kind yeah. Of, I've wanted to, like, I like the, so, the two social D songs are probably the only times during the video where I was just right. like, why does fucking McCadden make me watch this? Why, you know, why am I so loyal? <laughs> why am I so loyal to this guy that I would put myself through this? But I, I liked, uh, you know, Mommy's Little Monster, you know, in my, my own punk days. I, I like that stuff. But his voice now, I just, I truly, you know, I mean, you talk about something to love to hate. That fucking, uh, you know, take away, that ball and chain song. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That to you me is go, the most repulsive thing anyone has ever recorded. I you can't go too to late. It. Yeah, you got to go early and get out early. Yeah. With a lot of this stuff. I saw them, I saw them open for Neil Young twice. With Sonic Youth, twice. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like in two nights in a row, or like two years apart. What well, it was? No, 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 no. Two nights in a row. It was like it was over a course of a weekend. It was at uh, the Nassau Coliseum and Madison Square Garden. I went to both. How? Who took? How did? Were you trying to get? I ended or something? up. My girlfriend at the time got tickets, and I had already purchased tickets to go with uh, Springo, Mike Spring, my buddy. In Jersey, at the go. Oh no, that's where it was not Nassau. It was uh, the Meadowlands. And so. what attracted you to the bill? This this bill was it? It was Neil Young. Young. I was I was you know I was completely into Neil Young. I was you know at that moment it was the post Rocket in the Free World. You know, Godfather of Grunge era. Yeah, and, uh, I was right there for all. Did he play a, like his whole from his whole catalog, or did he just like? Because I saw him once when he only was, played his new album, and the new album wasn't very good. No, no, no. It was great. No, it was with Crazy Horse. So it was the entire. Uh, you know, live Rust out, Rust never sleeps, plus everything else. So yeah, no, it was it was phenomenal. That sounds pretty good. And I got they're, to say, I fucking saw Sonic Youth twice in the course of one weekend. So don't talk to me about them not being the worst thing that ever happened into a world of terrible things. Yeah, I would never so, say there that. is. I would never argue. There is that. something. There is something funny about watching this movie. I was amused by Ray Sharkey is playing an egotistical director who is like so passionate about his genius. There's something great about the last scene where they finally debut the movie to a rapturous crowd who all agree. Wow. You really are a genius. Ray Sharkey (laughs) stand in for Alan Sachs. And he gets to tell the mobster guy, like I am a fucking genius. And that's the end of the movie. 
And and over it the entire time, Alan Sachs is complaining about what a genius he is and how they didn't give him money to finish his brilliant movie. Yeah. So so that that is kind of fun to it reminds me, Mike, we always talk about the Alan Partridge character, his yep. his autobiography where seven times he used the sentence, needless to say, I had the last laugh. <laughs> where, <laughs> the it's like word. this <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the the last word. Yeah, it, like it does remind it's kinda like that the movie. Except Alan you know? Partridge is really funny. Right. Except Alan Partridge is genuinely funny, and uh this this was not really funny. But here's here's like one note I made here is like yeah. Like this debutio or whatever, like that's yeah. like if you were in the LA punk scene or whatever, like that's yeah. what you could hope for. Like that's the the, <laughs> the 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 peak of your expression. That that's like I mean that's just how yeah. they got all these people to be in it. You know, it's like they right. had no other opportunity seemingly. Thought, Wait, oh, look, here's a here's a, a question. Here's a question for you, Alan, being in the scene at this time that that I was thinking about watching Dubidio here and the fact that it was made by a welcome back Cotter producer. How you're saying you got out early yeah but how much did you in hollywood see hollywood type people sniffing around shows did did you ever see oh there was a celebrity well, at the mask not there that was much. this how much did that happen not that much because what happened is they would get attacked it was like very very pranky kind of vandalistic sort of attitude even though i talk about how we did slam dances so we could rub in the girls there were still like very antagonistic kind of attitude toward anyone who was successful or had money who, who or who right. might be patronizing us. Like I can remember going to like, like a, cause with Claude and Philly in Venice, cause they've had sort of art world connections and through Sammy off, they had these art world connections and going to like some party where it was like, I don't know if, I don't think it was Ed Boucher, but it was like, you know, some people who knew Ed Boucher and were there and they got, Oh, someone brought the punk. Someone brought the punks. So we just started taking all the art off the walls. We just started taking all the art off the walls and walking out with it. You know, right. I remember one time we were at one in uh, Chateau Marmont, and um, the same thing. Like, it was, oh, who brought the pot? And then so we just went to the refrigerator, took out all the alcohol, threw some other contents of the refrigerator at the people who were hosting the party. Maybe broke out a couple windows and then split down the fucking what do you call it? Uh, fire escape, right? So I mean. There was not a lot of no. So you the, never even and it, you never even saw like oh here's the uh, pop star that wouldn't be in the but they're David checking Lee it out. Roth hanging out at the mask. Well, yeah, David right. Roth would hang out at the whiskey because the the Van Halen was really big at the whiskey. Like the whiskey was their right. home away from home. I think they were there every night, and they were sort of open to the punk stuff. Like I think there were, there was a Slash magazine ad for the whiskey where right. David where the. Um, Van Halen were in some kind of punk drag or something. Like that. Whatever, maybe they were all wearing Lycra or something. But it was it was humorous. It was a joke. But he used to hang out at a club called the Zero One. That was a year or two later, maybe three or four years later. You know, like in the early '80s. And so, and and that a lot of the people who were like the punk people went up at, at the Zero One club. So that's where he he did have that connection to. But at the Mask, no, the Mask was very much uh, like this. The mask is very much uh, like like people got shoved into the bathroom. Like like girls like like if a girl came down there with long hair and like like a fur coat, all of a sudden her fur, her coat would be in a clogged toilet. You know, people would just attack right. and and right. says the girls were, were the girls were fucking you know relentless. Right. Uh, yeah, so right. so no one was sniffing around. And then of course later, of course like the you know like like Black Randy got in that Lou Adler movie. 
These gentlemen's the fabulous states, yeah. yes. Right. But that was a little bit later, you know, and then Randy was sort of a, you know, a, um, a hustler, a go-getter sort of guy. Not that it got him that much, but, like, I don't know, like, if they, because I know they read an interview that I had done with him because, like, the original script had just portions of my interview lifted and put it in his dialogue. So I don't know if they, uh-huh. if they came across him from that or if they saw a show or if, like he had he knew people from various different kinds of he like he knew the guy from the leaves like this this guy I think his name was John Beck this guy from the leaves that band the leaves and then like hit John Beck's wife had had an affair with the uh, with the uh, Sylvester Stallone maybe or something like that <clears throat> and I remember when we went over to this John <clears throat> Beck's place and Randy had. You know, they were reminiscing about a time when John Beck had had a party, like a New Year's party or some kind of big party, with all these, like, happening people there, probably, you know, like Hollywood people. And Randy had taken someone's car to go out and cop and drove into a bank. And, like, just, like, some bank on San Vicente and just, like, smashed, you know, drove into the bank and then left the car. And, you know, they were talking about, I I think they hadn't really spoken since then. And so I was there with him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, like the Randy's first, the dan- first three dangerous uh, singles were coming out because he had he had acetates. So he was playing this guy these acetates to show that you know he was doing well now. And then he, we also had some heroin, so they, he had the guy sniff some heroin and stuff. And... <laughs> so you never saw Belushi around there, did you? No, that was also later. But Belushi was at that club right. I talked about. Belushi would, would go to that right. club as well. Yeah. But the mask, right. no, fear, no, no fear one, right. no one, yeah. no one went to the mask unless you could really fucking deal with it, you know. And, right. Yeah. Right. You had a, All right. So I yeah. think next time we have you on, Alan, we'll do uh, Suburbia and the Fabulous States. Okay, I gotta watch. I, I, right. Yeah. I gotta watch those then. And eventually, uh, oh, David J. Did you know Dave Markey? No, the, but uh, I did. I did watch those two movies though. Yeah. The second one is really uh, great. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like it's really. And a you great said movie. I remember uh, one of our early bondings was you were at the Cat Club in New York with uh, Richard Kern and I think Dale Ashman when they showed it, and I was there too in '86. Yeah, they showed that, and they showed Fingered. Desperate Teenage Love Dolls. Yeah, and they showed Fingered, and then they showed uh, yeah. some other fucking movie, some Henry Rollins short or something. But I remember I came back to Los Angeles and I ran into the McDonald Brothers. Like I know who you fuckers are because I just saw this movie and we right. we had this whole we started up this whole chat and we kind of became friends. Right. But you know I realize now looking back because like there I have a friend who one of the McDonald brothers is in his band and so I would see them and I'm, I'm, I was there like again I think it was New Year's Day or something maybe two years ago right. and I'm talking to the two McDonald brothers I'm talking about Don Bowl or something and and they're kind of like they can't quite place me you know. But they're realizing that, like, where I'm talking about and everything it was, it was back even before they were there. I'm talking to them, and suddenly I realized, you know, there's a scene in my punk book where these new kids are coming in, and they don't like me. And they're, like, pushing me, and they're, they're trying to incite me, and they're trying to, like, but they can't quite get it together to punch me, you know? And there's, there's two of them, and they're tall. And I realized it was them. It was them what? and their friends. <laughs> and I'm talking to them, like, oh, fuck, but I haven't told them this yet. You know, you're, you're wow. in my book, by the way, you know. But uh, yeah. I was, it was fucking them. I had this whole wow. sense feeling, this is who it was them. <laughs> well, perfect. Uh, so on that note, we ask our guests to uh, say our sign-off, which is, uh, put your own spin on it. Crack or get off the pot. Uh, crack or pass the pipe. 
All right. <laughs> yes. Thank you, this ben. was our this was our punkest episode ever, Mike. Very much. Without yeah. question. Yeah. Thanks, Alan. First to go over two hours too, which is so fucking punk. Well, thank you. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of people who held out this long. <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah, we'll find out. All right. Thank you, Alan. All right, thank, thank you, guys. Thank you, Aaron. It's great to see everybody. Thanks, guys. Do